You're listening to Clock Shelves Entertainment, featuring global reactions, enticing aspects, tantalizing topics in many entertaining scenarios. The only podcast network bringing you great times. to another episode of MCU and me. It is almost the end of phase two when we've been building to this and I am so excited to have some of my favorite people to talk to back on the show today to discuss Avengers Age of Ultron. But before we can actually get into the discussion, let's hear who we're going to hear from today. Go ahead and reintroduce yourselves, folks. I'm Ruth. I'm Paul's mom. Uh, I'm Liam. Uh, I'm here today. Usually I'm glad to be here, but I'm here today. And I'm Lisa, and I am also here today, excited to talk about Age of Ultron. And see, so that's, that's why I wanted to get, uh, some, some, what, like a wide range of people, because Liam, I have to, I have to go back to your comment. You said you're here today. Normally it's, I'm glad to be here today. I would argue that you are glad to be here because pretty much since the beginning of this, it's been, I want to be on Age of Ultron so I can trash talk Age of Ultron. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. (laughs) There. So, I mean, it's an Avengers film, of course. We have the massive team-up of everyone, pretty much. And we get some new characters here. We obviously, we have the big returning gang. And now Liam and I know this, and and anybody continuously listening knows, uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show kind of sets up our beginning bit where they're going after um, Strucker and uh, going after the, the Scepter from the first film, the first Avengers film, I should say. Um, now... <clears throat> Maybe it's just me, and I, I I, was reading, I was doing a little bit of uh, quick research, kind of refreshing myself before we got started, and one of the things that um, Joss Whedon, the writer-director, made mention of was that, in his opinion, and sort of how he went at this as a film, is that it's not a guarantee that people that are going to see this went to see... <clears throat> went to see the the other films in between. Uh, Thor 2, Captain America 2, Iron Man 3, so on and so forth. And so he, ha- he, he was saying that he has to sort of pick this film up where, not necessarily where the previous film ended, but just so that if you didn't see those other ones, you can still sort of understand what's going on. And he said kind of like uh, what he looked to, and I have the feeling this one's going to, kind of uh, infuriate Liam a little bit. And it's it's a general thing that almost every sequel filmmaker says. He looked to The Godfather 2, because that's sort of the gold standard of sequel films. And that was, you know, time has passed, and you just sort of get all of the in-between stuff in the story. 
Now, re-watching this, I felt, and maybe I'm alone, and I'm going to kind of talk about a different, another uh, film franchise here and maybe spoil a little bit. I felt this whole film, or at least the first, I'd say, third of it, was more um, the final Star Wars film, where it picks up and it's sort of in the middle of some, you know, you don't really know where you are and it feels like you maybe missed a film in between and whatever. And that is just how I felt almost the entire, probably first third of this movie. Not so much with the, with the, uh, you know, going after the scepter and taking down the, uh, you know, the, the final head of Hydra and, and what have you, but just the whole concept of suddenly, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm alone in this, Suddenly, Tony and Banner are just off on their own doing scientist things, and it's we need and they're to create. But it's but it's we need to create Ultron, which by the way sounds like a villainous name. I don't know why they would have went with that name, but we need to create Ultron, and we need to create this thing that's gonna prevent you know future wars and future this and that and and whatever which of course is kind of what hydra was trying to do anyway as well mm. but like all of these and it just i felt like i felt when going into that final star wars film where i have missed a f like there's there's between where we left off in the last one meaning the last avengers film even if we want to say the last Captain America film because it went Captain America, the winter soldier, then guardians of the galaxy, which of course takes place elsewhere in the universe. And then back to this film, I feel like I missed a lot and I don't feel my personal opinion upon rewatching it. I don't feel that they explained enough about sort of why they're doing this and what pushed them to this point, because I cannot believe that just the concept of Loki and the invading, you know, Chitauri, Chitauri, however it's pronounced, and all of that pushed them to this point and with very little explanation in between. Hey, everyone, this is future Paul coming at you. I'm just letting you know that this episode is brought to you by content club that is patreon.com slash clock shelves um, and our new podcast series buffy verse and converse that's a show where myself and several frequent clock shelves collaborators get together to talk about buffy the vampire slayer the television series 25 years later that's right it's been 25 years since buffy the vampire slayer rolled into sunnydale and into our geeky hearts and we are going episode by episode uh going over the episode or i'm sorry going over the series and um the great thing about it is some people have watched the series some people haven't watched the series so we're getting all sorts of viewpoints from various ages, various levels of fandom, and everything in between. So make sure you go check that out. Available now. The first several episodes are available now. Uh, uninterrupted over at Content Club. Coming to your favorite podcast feed anywhere you get podcasts. But for now, enjoy this episode brought to you from Buffyverse and Converse on Content Club. Well, I mean, Tony actually says that the fact that, you know, before it was things here, but suddenly a hole opened up pretty much in the universe 
and creatures came from somewhere else. That's why he said, you know, we pretty much need a net around the earth. I mean, you know, how but I, I, I agree that it, it did like <clears throat> it, it did seem like it started almost in the middle. See, I would say that I feel the second half is kind of like that because, you know, they start throwing names around. We go to a million different places. Everyone has like the five, you know, we have the guy in Wakanda all of a sudden. We have Strucker. Like these are all people that like if you're not really on top of the movies and really on top of the lore, you're going to be like, well, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. Like, why is this person important? And, and and even me being a big fan of the movies, I felt that way. I was like, I don't even remember this dude. Like, yeah, me too. And I, I went back and I went back and watched the movie, not Guardians of the Galaxy, because obviously, like Paul said, that happened in a different place. But I went back and watched because um, I wanted to know the background going into it. I went back and watched Captain America and the Winter Soldier. So, I mean, I get the idea that you want your movie to be able to stand alone. <clears throat> When it's an ensemble like this, you want it to be able to stand alone so that anybody just coming in for the first time isn't going to be lost. But people who were here for the whole thing are lost. because Exactly. He completely those, those failed in that aspect. Yeah, those characters weren't, you know, they weren't, they didn't play a big part in it. Pre, I mean, they did, but that was like going way back, you know, and like Strucker and all that. That, that was... You know, that's a, a big throwback to just dump it in, you know, somewhere along the line, something could have eased its way in some kind of explanation or something, you know. It's very choppy, the way they introduce yeah. people and then almost like Dr. Cho, like, what? Like, did we even see her after this? Like, like they were just random people thrown in yeah. there. Feel like, really we have to take, take him right, you know, get Dr. Cho here right away. Like, we never heard of her before this. Right. You know, I don't remember hearing of her before this. So it was like, wait, what? Right. Why do why do we have to have you know, you've got Banner and you've got um you've got Stark, but we have to bring in some other basically geneticist or whatever to come in and do you know, I don't know. Right. The movie was trying to do a lot, I feel. Uh, especially when you look at it, it's setting up like seven different movies. Right. Teasing yeah teasing Civil War, it's teasing Thor Ragnarok, it's teasing Black Panther, it's teasing Infinity War, it's it's, it's just Hell, it teases some of the TV shows Yeah, yeah. just doing way too much Well now, right. so Liam brings up a, a, a good point and this is sort of another reason why I wonder if it wasn't as well received, so correct me if I'm wrong but I believe by the time that the film came out or maybe within its first, you know, week or two of being in the cinemas, I believe it was already announced that Captain America Civil War was going to be not just the next Captain America film, but basically I believe it's the next film after this. One of my favorite things about recording any of the shows that I do, like MCU and Me, or Lost with Friends, or even back when we used to do Wrestling Renegades, is finding out little uh, details about the people that we have on. 
and sometimes in the middle of those conversations, you get some very interesting details about who the people are. And of course, we try to present you with who those people are across the various Clock Shelves Entertainment shows. And one of the best ways that we do that is on our show, Paul and All. Um, it is where I sit down uh, with various people from all over the world, as I always say, and I just talk with them. And I, the, you know, no topic is too small on our show, Paul and All, as our intro says. And I would love if you would go and check it out, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, of course, you can find the links across all of our social media. And, you know, you could help us grow that show as well, because sometimes it's fun talking with the Losties or the True Believers uh, about things that aren't necessarily Lost or Marvel or wrestling or what have you. Um, sometimes getting to know the people is what is the fun part for me. I am Paul. I am your voice of choice here at Clock Shelves Entertainment, and I host Paul and All. Go check it out. Is well, no, Ant Man, and then I think uh, Cap Civil War starts uh, Phase Three, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they they kind of they kind of <clears throat> the the disagreement you can kind of see it between you know Tony Stark and Captain America in this movie. Right, there's that's... that tension of, and I mean, even just comments that Tony Stark makes about, um, I just provide the money, he's in charge. No, you know, but what like... I'm what I'm what I'm getting at is. For people who, whether they know or have a peripheral knowledge of the comic book side, and I know this doesn't equate to the the more general audience, such as you, Ruth, because yeah. I know yeah, a I lot of stuff. Well, that's and that's the thing is like you. I always say that that uh, you know you go in as you had make maybe before Iron Man, you had an idea who Iron Man was. You had an idea who Hulk was. And, you know, Thor, Captain America, all of those things, because they're relatively in the pop culture, you know, but not yeah. as much as your Spider-Man, your X-Men, things like that. Like, you probably had, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably had no idea who, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy were, or no. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, who we see debut in this film, things like that. But then there's people like me who have a general idea of the comic books, but then you have people like Lisa, who I know is hardcore into the Captain America comic books. I'm not sure about any of the others per se, but you have uh, like definitely. What's that? X Men. You know, like I I knew about Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver going in, and I think that also mm -hmm. um is what you know. But some, they were different. They were different in the in right. The, but what I'm what I'm comics what I'm that. getting what I'm getting at is they announced Civil War. And if I'm not mistaken, they announced that almost everyone, including Robert Downey Jr. And, and, you know, they would be in the film. And I'm not saying that they had revealed that, you know, certain people like we know Black Panther, we know Spider-Man, like, you know what I mean? Like, we know those characters, but they had revealed that a good, you know, Downey, Scarlett Johansson, um, Don Cheadle, you know what I mean? That a lot of the core people from the Avengers films, not all, but a good portion of them would show up in Captain America Civil War. And I wonder if that kind of made people, especially because the Civil War storyline in the comic books was like a year long thing. It spanned almost every book. 
and there was a lot of stuff and obviously there were certain things they couldn't do in the films because like Spider-Man unmasks in the comic books. So then like they hadn't done Spider-Man, you know what I mean? And so there were different things that they could have done or that, you know, what have you. But I wonder if it kind of watered this film down knowing that we were going to get most of them back in the next film and it wasn't even going to be an Avengers film. It was just going to be a regular old Captain America film. And, you know, it actually points to a problem that uh, the MCU had, I think, early on with Phase 1, is uh, there would be no stakes because announcing these movies would basically confirm that characters would survive. You know, like, before Thor, they confirmed that Loki was the villain of Avengers, so you knew Loki survived. When going into Avengers, they confirmed that Loki was back for Thor 2, so you knew Loki survived. And it's just everything like that. And, I mean, obviously with Avengers Age of Ultron, you're going into Civil War. You know all these people are going to be back for Civil War. But who's not confirmed for Civil War? Quicksilver isn't confirmed. Thor isn't confirmed, but we got Thor three confirmed and Hulk. So, yeah, it's it's like it's kind of like the old serial TV shows. You knew nothing was going to happen to the core family group because it was about them, mm-hmm. and you knew that next week you turn the TV on, they were going to be there. Bonanza is the one that everybody talked about. You know, little Joe gets shot. Is he going to die? No, because we know he's going to be on the next episode. Not Joss Whedon, notwithstanding in that. Well, yeah, because he, he kills <clears throat> off, you know quote-unquote main people a lot and that's and and i i pointed it out in, in a different discussion on a different podcast recently but i said about how you know um we as as lost fans sort of know what that concept is where you you have your people that you assume are going to be there until the end but then again they could die at any moment and that's the stakes that they that they set up and like I said, and, and Liam hit the nail on the head there, there weren't stakes. And I think yeah, there, another, there wasn't any. <clears throat> I think another kind of disappointment, for lack of a better word, with this film was the fact that people thought. And now the funny thing is, look, like I and I still agree with Joss Whedon's take on this, where people thought based off of the first Avengers film that uh, Thanos was going to be the villain. Excuse me, because they set him up as sort of, you know, manipulating and pulling the strings of everything going on in the first one, the first Avengers film. So then it would make sense that he would be the villain of this film. And the statement was made something along the lines of he's the 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 arch villain. And basically they haven't built up to him yet. But I felt like with this, we hadn't we didn't get enough of Ultron. I think one of the things that that I liked about the Avengers film was we had already seen and it's this is a problem like Liam said, you know, problem with with things that the MCU has done. This is a problem that I I think in the films is in the comics you have your you have like recurring villains. And I know it's I'm going to use DC comics here, but like Batman has his rogues gallery. And obviously, you know, your Spider-Man like he has, you know, recurring villains and things like that. And almost all of them do. And, you know, most of your major superheroes have their recurring villains, but on the film side, we don't often get those, uh, you know, we don't see, 
We like we've had like I mean think about some of the villains we've had. Red Skull gone. Yes, I know what we're I know what we're all thinking about Red Skull, but just go with me for a moment. But Red Skull <laughs> gone. We have um in Iron Man two we have uh what is it Whiplash gone. We have um 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 oh my gosh who am I I can't think of the name. But like but Loki recurred from Thor to Avengers and in this we have to introduce the concept of the villain build the villain up to be this huge threat that causes all of the Avengers to get together and then destroy him all within the span of one film and I don't think it properly I don't think the film properly executed that concept there was too much other stuff going on there was it was they were trying mm-hmm. to like Liam said there were too many things that they were setting up for <clears throat> that by doing all of that you water down your main story and then it seems rushed oh hurry up we got to get this the, right because we have one villain in this movie but we we set up all these other things but then we got to go back to that main guy you know it, it just well I always say with with any movie I watch and I can't remember specifically which one I felt this way about recently but I feel like any time they set up too many quote-unquote villains or enemies in a movie it just really you know like you said it kind of there's no stakes at that point. There's so many different storylines going on. I mean, like, the villains, we have Strucker. He's off pretty quickly, but he's still the villain. Then we have the twins, who we think are villains, but then they're not. We have Ultron. We have Vision, who, if you don't read the comics, you don't know if he's a villain or not. Then we have the dude from Wakanda. He's a villain. Um, we have so the yeah. guy in the computer. He wasn't the guy in the Zemo? Yeah. Was Zemo in was the, No. The, it, Not Zemo. Um, no, that's right. That was the last movie. Never mind. I sorry. crossed my movies. I'm like, wait a minute. No, wrong. But, no, but Le- were- Lisa's like, we talked about this on a podcast already. Yeah, <laughs> wait no, a no, second. Nope, sorry. So if you haven't already, uh, go check out on Content Club. One of the bonus episodes we have once a month is a show called Two of Us. It features myself and my father uh, going through some different things in Beatles history. Uh, I know that that may not sound like fun to some people. You may not be a Beatles fan, or maybe you're just a casual fan or what have you, but we're making some interesting discoveries along the way. Because one of the things that we uh, have with that show is I provide a lot of research and things like that. And my dad, who was alive for a lot of it, but kind of caught up later because it was happening when he was, you know, incredibly young. Uh, But he is one of the biggest Beatles fans I know, one of the biggest Beatles fans you'll probably ever meet if you get the chance to meet him, of course. But we kind of provide, it's, it's almost like a sports commentary sort of deal where I provide some play-by-play and he provides the color, meaning he can provide some context and some things because he's read various uh, books, he's seen various interviews, 
and heard various interviews and all of these things, and he has such a vast knowledge of all things Beatle-related, and we're covering some topics that aren't necessarily the major topics when it comes to the Beatles. So if you might be interested, go check it out. It's available on Content Club right now, patreon.com slash clockshelves, and it is called Two of Us, and it's us going through the long and winding road of the Beatles. <laughs> but there were so many different there were so many different enemies and it's like this person's an enemy. No wait they're not. No, this one is. No wait they're not. And like you said, it kind of takes away from I mean, because Ultron is a really great villain. I would argue he yeah. like I, I would argue he's probably one of the best, but his storyline and his actions don't hold as much because of all the other enemies that they're trying to you know show for five minutes and then stop it seems that it seems that it could have been a longer i mean it could have almost been a a thanos thing where it carried across multiple movies because of the fact that he could jump literally from one body to another because it was all in you know it was all computerized you know it's well, well, I that's think what I'm saying. Is... There wasn't, to me, there wasn't enough of a of a buildup, and I don't even mean from film to film. But like I said, and one of the and it it for me it was sort of a a benefit, I guess, was that the villain of the first Avengers was someone that we had already seen, and like I said, it's it's a it's an issue with me in um in the Marvel films overall is that we don't have a lot of recurring villains and I get it because you know at the end good has to triumph over evil and so then unlike you know and again I'll just use Batman because I think Batman was one of the first film wise even was one of the first ones to sort of say okay multiple villains but in the like the Batman comics okay he defeats the Joker and sends him off to Arkham and then you know in you know a month or two he's going to escape from Arkham Asylum and terrorize Gotham City again and then um like Lisa you were saying about you know films when they have multiple villains I think Batman Returns was one of the first and I'm sure Liam's going to come through with one that predates that but I, to me it's one of the first that I remember at least that sort of does that where the first Batman film Tim Burton Batman film it was uh Jack Nicholson's the Joker is the villain but then the sequel so the stakes need to be higher so let's introduce two or three villains for you know this one hero now granted this is a hero team so theoretically yes okay it makes sense that there would be more than one villain but the whole point of the Avengers in the first film was they're teaming up because they all had some sort of connection to uh, Agent Coulson, and they feel that the Earth is in such a massive threat. Now, does Ultron pose a massive threat like that? Yes, but unlike the previous Avengers film, I f- one of the other things I think kind of negative about this one is that this seems to show them as if they're almost always all hanging out anyway, and we never got any of that I feel in some of the previous ones. Yes, at the end of I think it's Iron Man three, we see uh, Tony talking with Bruce, you know, doing like a therapy session thing. And in um, Cap two, we see um, we see 
Black Widow and Captain America hanging out, but we don't really get anything of like any anything else other than that. There's really not a lot of Thor, and even in the Thor film, there wasn't really much of him interacting with anybody else, you know, any of the other heroes. But suddenly this film it feels like, well, they're all always hanging out and always in constant communication all the time. But then what, like, why is it, do they only team up in these certain films that have the name Avengers on them? So I would say, I'm going to jump in first only because I think actually one of the strengths of this film, and I understand what you're saying, Paul, because I agree, like, uh, continuity-wise doesn't really make sense. But one thing that Joss Whedon does really well that I think this movie does maybe better than many of the Marvel movies is there's beautiful connections between characters that they start to form here. Like we see, um, you know, the the intricacies of Captain America and Tony's relationship. We see the connection between Cap and Wanda. Um, we learn more about, you know, Natasha and Clint's relationship. Like I really think it it actually does a great job at kind of building upon these relationships that we know already exist. It, make, it makes them, it, it makes them appear more of a team than just random superheroes who come together for, okay, so we have, all right, let's all get together. We've got to face this villain. Okay. Everybody back to your own little, you know, fortress of solitude. All right. Now we've got another threat. Everybody come together. You know what I mean? It, it does make them, you know, you, we get to see, like Lisa said, the the interpersonal relationships. And that's absolutely fine, I think. And, I mean, I'm a huge Joss Whedon, fan of Joss Whedon's work. And I, and I agree. I think he does that sort of thing very well. And I think it works here. I just feel like, based off of some of the other films, we didn't... Like, even the whole... Like, remember I said before about how we're sort of just dropped in the middle of things. It's sudden... Now, we saw... We saw Natasha in the Captain America film, but then suddenly in this film, and I don't know how much time is supposed to have passed. I don't think a whole lot between that Captain America film and this film, but suddenly her and Hulk are in like a a deep enough relationship that like she's able to pull him out of being Hulk back into Bruce and still she can calm down, you know, the big guy and all of those things. There was, in my opinion, there was zero buildup to that. And I'll accept oh. it because it's what the film is. But where did any of that come from? Yeah, when did they have that opportunity to to do that? You know, that, because yeah. realistically what she's doing when she rubs his hand like that, that's a post-hypnotic suggestion. There's, certain, there's a thing that she does that when she touches him, it makes him relax and whatever. Where did like you said, where did that come from? You know, like where, where was that established? I would have to agree with that. I think um, while I do love a lot of the relationships that he kind of built upon in this movie, that one was kind of out of left field. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's like Joss's like desire to like, I mean, like he, he loves putting characters together. I mean, if you look at Buffy, like everyone was dating everyone, you know, throughout that series. And, um, you know, I don't know if he just really wanted to have that romantic relationship or what it was, because there are a lot of great romantic relationships in the Marvel movies. They're just 
they make sense though. They're not like kind of forced upon you like into the main storyline. And I feel like yeah, this, that one seems very me. forced. The, the two of them, the, yeah, Matt and 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 Hulk. And then it's uh, I think it was I think that that relationship was to offset the fact that Clint was married, right? Because previously the hints were made that there was something going on between Nat and Clint. And then suddenly, no, he's married. So then we've got to put her in a different relationship so that there is no, oh, well, maybe he's when he's not with his family, he's off with her. No, she likes the big guy, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah. They really did the character of, they, they really didn't do the character of Black Widow justice in this movie, in my opinion. I think her storyline basically just consists of pining over the Hulk, and and yeah. that's it. You get some brief stuff talking about her past, which is just it's just generic. Oh, I did bad things, just like in Avengers. There and of is, course, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That, that weird that weird conversation that she has with Bruce in the house, where she talks about how she can't have kids, and the way the way they phrase it yeah, yeah, so I, bad I, yeah. I know it's not the intention but the way the way they phrase it implies that she thinks she's a monster because she can't have kids that was what i was just going to say was there was a lot of and so recently on an episode of Paul and all liam joined myself and uh, a new guest actually um kiona and we we kind of talked about the concept of separating the art from the artist and you know we talked about some of the accusations against joss whedon and several other people and and i've said many times and i will continue to say i am a fan of joss whedon's work as a person i for a very long time even before a lot of that stuff came out i had a certain disconnect from him because there's a lot of things i don't necessarily agree with him as a person you could hear me going a little bit more about that in that episode if you're interested but um I would say this film and some stuff that came out afterwards where, you know, him and Kevin Feige didn't necessarily get along and there were certain things that he wanted in the edit that a lot of the Marvel and Disney executives didn't want. Uh, There was like an entire subplot with with uh, Thor and Selvig in, uh, you know, doing like that vision thing. No, no, not Vision, the character, but, um, you know, w- that he wanted and, and all of these other things. And one of the things that sort of came up uh, with regards to maybe jo- and this isn't me saying it, but I remember it was a lot of talk at the time where it's maybe Joss Whedon just doesn't have it anymore with regards to being such a feminist and because that was always sort of his thing. Right. And I think, I think Liam, I know you're not necessarily a fan, but I think you could even agree that was sort of his calling card was like, he was one of the top men who was like the, you know, an extreme self-proclaimed. Yeah. Well, I mean, but he, like he won a lot of awards and, and all of these things. And there, you know, people would always ask him, why are you still, you know, why do you write, strong female characters and his answer was always because you keep asking me that question and basically the the concept was i i I shouldn't have to justify it to you we should just have strong female characters and i agree with that but the the storyline in this film with natasha is one of the things that made people say maybe he doesn't have it anymore because a lot of people took it the way liam just said which was that she felt 
or she sort of hinted that be not she can't have kids and whatever, but she feels like a monster because she can't have kids and that's all some women want. And but like, you know, she can't have kids, so she's a monster. And and Liam also kind of said it where it's a lot of just generic stuff, right? And there's a there's a lot of her character only sort of feeds into the character of Bruce. We get a lot of things with with her back. I mean, even those those little bits we get of her backstory in this film, it's just to sort of drag her down and make her feel bad about herself when she's trying to express, this is who I am, this is what I've been through, and I just feel bad about it. And she's trying to relate that back to Bruce. She's, I'm not going to say only, but and I'm saying some people take it this way, she's only there to service the character of Bruce slash Hulk. She's only there to service the fact that, oh yeah, she knew that Clint had this family and, and kind of like you said, mom, where, you know, it sort of explains that and it justifies, well, they are just friends because she's friends with his wife and, you know, they were potentially going to name their baby after her and all of these things. But who is she as a character and what does she do? And it's not much, but all of the men have things to do in this film. Hey there, folks. Just taking another break to remind you to check out our social media pages. We're trying to grow those, and we're wondering what you want to see more from us. Uh, You can let us know your feedback on our shows. You can let us know uh, feedback on just about anything, really, over on our social medias. You can make requests for various guests that you want to maybe return to certain shows, or you can give us topics. Um, You can check out all of that, and you can even find pretty much across the various platforms the people that have been on uh, our shows, because we follow them and are followed by them pretty much everywhere. Uh, On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we are Clock Shelves. Of course, that's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. We are trying to grow our social media presence, as I said. So um, in addition to us trying to post as often as we uh, post new content for you, uh, we're also trying to make everyone else aware of our social media. So make sure you go give us a follow, maybe even uh, share us sometimes, you know, when we post new stuff. It's at Clock Shelves. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Well, I don't think that she so much thought of herself as a monster because she was uh, basically forcibly sterilized or the fact that she was forcibly sterilized because they made her a monster and then they felt that the ability to possibly procreate would have made her softer. And so by taking that away, then she was able to be the monster that they wanted her to be because she couldn't, there wasn't the possibility of having children. And I absolutely think that was the intention, but that is not how a good portion of people took it. Well, you know, people take things in, you know, everybody takes things in the way that 
they want to spin a, you know, like there's, there's the way that things were meant to be and the way that someone else can spin it. And we've seen a lot of that over the last couple of years, you know, so it just, you know, to me, it just seemed like she, she said about being a monster more because of what she had been through than that one defining moment. And again, I think that was I think that was fully the intention. But I like as soon as Liam said that, because I, I was about to say the same thing that that I know that was not how people took it. And like I said, it was sort of one of those things where it I I hesitate to even say this is where the you know the beginning of the end for Joss Whedon sort of happened. But because of that, because you know, well, where what happened to his his feminist ways and you know all of these things and then of course you know going on to the oh he had trouble with the disney executives and the marvel executives and so on that but like i said i i know that 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 concept even the fact that you know what does scarlet witch have she doesn't and obviously it's the introduction of that character and whatnot but she doesn't have a lot to quote unquote do in this film. She has her, one of her big moments is because she gets emotional and she, you know, she drops down to her knees and she lets out that scream and, and the, the blast of magic or whatever it is. And, you know, kills a few of the, the Ultron guys, but her brother literally gets to sacrifice himself to save people. And that's sort of his big defining moment. Now, obviously, the character of Scarlet Witch is going to go on to do a lot more. But in this, her big moment is she gets emotional and she just so happens to kill a few of those things. But he gets to sacrifice himself and be the big hero and and whatever. And like I said... what? I have to dis- I have to disagree because I'm a huge Scarlet Witch fan and I think a lot of her big moments were very subtle and upon this rewatch I really picked up on them more because I felt the same way as you the first couple of times I watched I was like this isn't even what her powers do in the comics like why are they like what are they doing to her and I picked up on a couple of things that like happened throughout the movie like um even her ability to um, reverse the effects of the Mind Stone on Dr. Cho. She's not even in her prime of her abilities, and she's able to just wave her hand really quick and counteract the effects of a stone, even if it's her stone, but still. I mean, I think that's pretty significant. And then at another point, she also figures out Stark's plan before Banner and before Captain America, who are both shown to be very keen and very obviously very intelligent throughout the movie. So I think Wanda's strengths are, are more subtle in this movie than obviously in the she, ones going she, forward. She kind of read his mind though. Um, when she, when she planted the suggestions, she kind of got in there cause she had to know what, uh, what button to push for him. So I yes, think she, she knew his fears. She, she you know, but she also knew. Okay. No, go go ahead. Finish. Uh, I, I think that she that she kind of read a little bit of his mind. She read all of their minds to be able to know what the what the fears were. Now, I will agree. Uh, 
Lisa, I, I will agree with the, the concept that, you know, she shows off a lot of her power in this, in this movie. She has them like, she freaks all of them out, gets into their heads, gives them all these, these weird, you know, visions and, and scares them all and, and what have you. And I'm not, I'm going to take the position of, again, being sort of the, the, I don't, I hesitate to even say like the anti Joss Whedon person, but sort of the person to be like, well, what, what is the, the strength of these, of some of these, uh, you know, the female characters in a way, because I don't know if any of us other than myself have watched, I'm sure you have Lisa, the, uh, the final season of the show, Sherlock. No, I haven't actually. You never, never you watched, you never watched it. it with where where they. Oh, see, I don't want to say too much then, because there's a. There's Am I a, the only one? You know it. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you like hint to it, I have seen it. I mean, I'm uh, not like a big huge fan, but. I'm just gonna say these two words: Prison Island. Eh. Oh, I saw it. Okay, so only because. I Only because I saw it. it. Yes, I know. It. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so basically, I'm 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 gonna try not to give too much away, but I'm gonna try to get my point across. There is a character, a female character, who somehow, some way, can like talk anybody into doing anything they want. There's zero explanation for it. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll give a I'll give a slightly better example. The character on um, the one season, uh, Evan Peters' character on that one, the cult season of American Horror Story. Do we do we have re- frame of reference there? If I say that, no. Son of a bitch. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just just go. Anyway, it's almost like a, it's almost like a siren. Yes. Okay. And that's yes. So that's what I was going to say. And and the criticism for that season of Sherlock was. The character didn't do anything. The character didn't have any charisma, but we're just going with the concept of it's a female and females just by talking to men can make them do whatever they want. And I'm not saying that I'm like trying to look on a deeper level, but that is sort of how that comes off. I feel like is that, okay, so great. And I, and I fully agree. She has this amazing power. And like you said, Lisa, Scarlet Witch, not even at the peak of her power, and she can do this. But what can she do? Manipulate the brains of men. I'm not saying that's not a good power to have. But it's but not is just that the really men the... because she did it to Nat, too. So it's not she can manipulate brains. It, it had not, I don't think it. I don't think it had anything to do with the men because she did it to she did it to Natasha. But what I'm saying is if that's her big thing. Is is yes? Uh, is it a, a big power? Yes. Is it a great thing? Yes. But on a slightly deeper level, is that really the thing that we want to give the female character? Does that does that help? In every generation, there is a chosen one. She alone will stand against the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness. She is the Slayer. And in 1997, that slayer was Buffy Summers. And now, starting in 2022, Clockshelves Entertainment and your voice of choice, Paul Casey, are going through the entire Buffy saga. Buffyverse and Converse. The entire Buffy the Vampire Slayer universe, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer 
season one, episode one, going episode by episode, multiple viewpoints, multiple ages, multiple levels of fandom are all already featured on the show. You can check it out early and uninterrupted over at Content Club and coming soon to your favorite podcast platform. Because again, I'm not saying that everyone's going to look at it on that deeper level, but they're, they're just like we said with the other thing, what is the intention versus what are people going to take away and what have you. And I'm, I, I would absolutely believe if there were people who took it that way of, okay, great. So she can, she can manipulate. And I'm not saying she didn't do it to women as well, but great. She can manipulate the minds of men. So can most women. If you, if you talk to them, right. Cause men are idiots. Yeah, but if that was all that they gave her, then maybe I could see that as an argument. But she had a lot of other stuff going on for her. I had one yeah. question, though. When they were, I'm sorry, but when they were in the church towards the end, right, she could create a bubble that protected the 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 townspeople. Why didn't she create a bubble to protect that device? She didn't, from the, like Lisa said, she wasn't at the peak of her powers. I guess it's interesting. Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, I was just gonna say, uh, I, I I was noticing her powers, and it's almost like her powers devolve a little bit after this movie because she's got the mental side of things, but it never really comes up again. If you watch her appearances in future movies, it seems like her powers are just telekinesis, like she's just moving things with her mind, and there's none of that mental side, and even. Did you see like, WandaVision? Well, yeah, but I mean... But that's, that's big. That's not just moving things. I know, but I mean, if you look at Civil War, Infinity War, well, yeah, Endgame... Yeah, in the movies. Yeah, in the Which movies. is what he said. But he said the films. I know, but I'm, I, I get that, but I'm just saying, but it, it's, you know, it, it does play up, but I think it was, we were supposed to forget that she was able to do all that stuff. And uh, even the way she moves in this, it's much more like, witchy almost for lack of a better word because like there's like a moment where she first encounters captain america and she kind of like backs up through a doorway and it's all like choppy meant to be almost like a little scary a little bit of course it wasn't scary but i think i think joss i don't know if if this was joss whedon or the writers or whatever it was but i feel like he didn't really understand her powers um because like scarlet witch's whole thing is her ability to manipulate probabilities uh, it's not exactly mind reading. Like she could manipulate the probability of something happening to her liking. So, so, that, so that right there lends me to because of something that I was reading where he, either he mentioned it or the article kind of implied it that or, you know, inferred it that he meant it that way. But basically the concept sort of that he talked about early he being Joss Whedon kind of talked about early on was the fact that he was getting to introduce these two new characters because yes. Okay. And, and, and the fact that they shared the film rights to these characters with the X-Men films at the time, because of course they were owned by, by Fox and the character of Quicksilver was in the X-Men films and they had to do everything that they, that they could to dance around the concept of mutants. And Liam, we know a little something about that with regards to season two of agents of shield. Um, but, uh, 
they had to do everything they could. And one of the things was basically how he got to introduce these two new characters to this audience and with completely new powers than anybody else had. Because none of them have, like, the... I mean, yes, Captain America is fast, but not as fast as Quicksilver. And none of the rest of them have sort of mind control slash telekinesis. And the, the word telekinesis was specifically used in the article that I was reading. So that does lend me to believe that you are correct in saying he may not have understood the character. Well, yeah, probably it's... went more with the name than the actual research on the character. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, to give him credit, right, he was tasked with giving them brand new origin stories that, you know, in Scarlet Witch's defense, it makes sense with the Mind Stone, but, like, it makes no sense with Quicksilver. Like, how would the Mind Stone make him fast? You know, like, like you know, you really have to, like, not, I mean, that's that's the part that bothers me being a fan of the X-Men comics is that, you know, this origin story is kind of, like, haphazardly thrown in there. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. For both well, they were they were already enhanced because they don't say mutant, but they were already enhanced before that because they were introduced in early in an earlier movie. Just before in a, they just, had, in a, just in a post credit though to set up right. this. But but they didn't have the mind stone at that point. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. That's how they got the powers. That's how that, that's how both Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver got their powers. You missed something, Mom. I missed something. <laughs> I mean, don't like I'm just I'm a huge Scarlet Witch fan, so I'm like very anal about like being very observative of like what goes on. But you know, that's another thing too. I know this is like way early in the podcast to be talking about this scene, but um you know, the explanation for their powers and the mind stone and like Thor's vision, all of that is explained and like a 15 second sentence by Thor in the middle of a huge battle. So if you miss that 15 second sentence, like well, you miss a, a huge, there was a good sized scene that was deleted because it's like, it's up on Disney plus. Yeah, There's no, a deleted that's she, scene. That's not what she's talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the scene where he, he just, he, he flies in. It's like during the battle and he's like, the Mind Stone, that's why she's screwing with her minds, and that's why Vision and blah, 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 blah. And, like, it's all explained, and he talks really fast yeah, in, like, 10 or but, 15 seconds. And that's, like, if you miss that, yeah, like, the fact, like, it just was too rushed. Like, if you're going to explain it, then you have to explain it. You know what I mean? Like, it can't be a rush sentence in the middle of a battle. Well, he got that information when he was in the in the pool, right? Yeah, but the problem yeah. is, so yeah, so to on on both of your points, they cut that scene, which again was sort of that whole thing of you know the the battle in the in the editing room, but then the way that they explain it all is like like Lisa said, it's in the middle of all this other action going on, which if you do it right. And I know for a fact Joss Whedon can do that. He's a correctly. master of exposition. That was right. really bad. That's it was. A really bad that's that's, way that's he what did that she's because... saying is I yeah. think oh, yeah. I don't want to speak Absolutely. for Lisa because I would never, but I believe that's what Lisa is saying is that it was done poorly because there was a lot that had to be explained and he says it in the middle of this action sequence and he says it too quickly that if you if you missed it 
you missed a good chunk of the exposition that helps inform the entire kind of plot of movie, the movie pretty much yeah yeah well, exactly. yeah that's yeah and that's what i said you know and that's a that's a, a you know beginning of the end for joss whedon the fact that the, this big exposition i mean he having watched buffy and all the things exposition is something that he's pretty good at and that kind of felt you know he he fell flat on that pretty hard yeah Liam, are we doing your job for you by talking bad about Joss Whedon enough? <laughs> uh, I guess so. <laughs> I have some good things, too, if you want to get to the good stuff. <laughs> well, Lisa, I know you said it before we started, and, and Mom, I believe you also made some notes. So is there anything... Not, I'm not saying that... I'm not even to the point of wrapping up yet, of course, but I'm just curious if there's... Uh, anything you know from the notes that you the, the two of you took specifically that you want to sort of touch on because we are kind of just jumping all over the place with everything. I want to hear Lisa's I mean, notes. I have a whole page. I don't know if you want me to go first. You already know with Clockshelves Entertainment, you get great times, global reactions, enticing aspects, tantalizing topics, and many entertaining scenarios. We talk the ever-expanding Marvel Cinematic Universe. We talk failed pilots and prep for new shows. And we talk some shows that are, you know, we're looking at in retrospect. We talk with friends from all various walks of life. Sometimes it's sports. Sometimes it's sports entertainment. And sometimes it's just pure entertainment. We are all over the country and all over the globe. We're friends. We're family. We are Clock Shelves Entertainment. I want to hear Lisa's notes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, well, first I wanted to kind of talk about, um, I guess this is a technically part of the movie, but I remember when the trailer for Age of Ultron first came out, and I, I still say to this day, I think it is the best trailer that they've released for a Marvel movie ever. The song in it, the the editing, the creepiness, it was just such a good trailer. I remember having chills and watching it a million times when it came out. So I want I don't know if you guys felt the same way about that, but I just wanted to give them credit for that cuz whoever created that trailer, a genius. I am over the years, I've been sort of going into the camp of our friend Kevin where I don't necessarily watch trailers because, and maybe I did at the time and I just, I, because I, you know, I don't remember I don't because remember it was, the trailer. you know, some years back, but I've kind of gone into the camp of Kevin where I don't necessarily watch trailers because they purposely manipulate too much and give you a lot of false senses before going into the movie for him. I think it's a bit more of a spoiler thing cause he's super anti spoiler. But for me, it's, I don't like that false sense of one character says this quippy line. And then another character says this quippy line, but they're actually from two completely different parts of the film. And right. I, I'd rather just and see sometimes them they're not in, in the movie at all. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. I'd rather just see everything in context. But now well, I'm, I feel like I'm going to have to look up that trailer just yeah, to see. It, the trailer's gonna, on, the, uh, on the Disney Plus. Um, I was going to say, Disney I encourage Plus. you all to to go watch it because it's, it's just like, oh my God, it's such a good trailer. It's too um, bad the movie wasn't more like that. Well, I think that was I think that was the biggest disappointment for a lot of people. It's like we were expecting this really creepy 
um, movie based on the theme of the of the trailer. And I think we did get that in the first like third of the movie. And then the vibe shifted towards and the middle. You know, the funny thing is like, OK, so if you're saying that it went it was a, a, like, you know, supposed to be creepy. It was a lot then of unrealized potential because they could have done, and I'm not saying he's, because I think he's a fantastic actor, James Spader. We haven't even mentioned him as Ultron yet, but I think he's, I think he's brilliant as an actor. He yes. could easily play super creepy, you know, like he, he could, this could have been a much darker movie. And I get it on one hand, you know, Disney and they want for the mass audience and they don't want to make something that's, you know, too creepy, whatever. And they also don't want to make something that's too camp. And they have the, you know, the Marvel formula and it works. And Kevin Feige has has done a brilliant job at making it work over these last, what, two and a half decades or whatever. He's done a great job at it. But with all the tools that they had between Joss Whedon, you know, having done Buffy, Angel, Firefly, Dollhouse, having done, he wore, I mean, he didn't direct it but he was a producer on the cabin in the woods and just his his knowledge of things and his experience he could have easily done a little bit more on the creepy side you have james spader as the voice of your you know arch villain and he could have easily done you know a lot creepier they could have and you know a lot the thor i thought personally the thor vision like Thor Ragnarok vision scenes were immediately creepy. There was a lot, and I'm not saying some of the other ones were a lot of potential for creepy, but there was a lot of potential for creepiness in those. I think captain America's were a little on the creepy side as well. Not as much as they could have been, but it, if that's the case, yes, a lot of missed potential there due to the, the fact that they shied away from the creepiness. Well, I think what might have played a part in it, and I don't know if you know about reshoots or editing or whatever it is, you'd have to look that up. But you know, people loved Guardians, and and I'm I'm one of those people. I'm a huge. I, I would say Guardians is probably in my top three of Marvel movies. I think it's a genius movie. But I think they saw how much people loved that comedy side of side of it, and then they put a lot of comedy into Age of Ultron. The beginning of the movie. Um, like you have that beginning scene where there's a lot of funny stuff happening, but I feel like, like the, just the theme of it kind of got lost throughout. Well, the funny thing is, and I t- again, I there was a a ball and all where we kind of talked about some you know things with filmmakers and things, and we know James Gunn had some controversy at one point, but him and Joss Whedon have known each other for a very long time, and really? the, the funny thing with that is when because Joss Whedon was. Not as much as Kevin Feige, of course, but was sort of overseeing certain things and helping, you know, build some connective tissue between this film and that film, whatever, because they were they in the first uh, thing they were ultimately building to his film, you know, because he signed on, I think, around Thor. So for Thor and Captain America, the first ones, and then he, you know, did Avengers. And then after that, he was kind of uh, help, you know, being a uh I guess an uncredited producer and whatever to sort of help shepherd things along, which would eventually get to this film age of Ultron. And one of the things was because he and James Gunn are, are old friends. One of the first drafts of guardians that James Gunn turned in, Joss Whedon said to him, this is great. This is a very good film, 
but where is the signature James Gunn stuff? Because that style of humor and whatever is, and, and that's one of those things that Joss Whedon sort of encouraged him. This is you. This is who you are. This is what you do in a film. And they hired you for you. So make it a James Gunn film. So it's funny that you're saying they, they saw that and they were like, oh, maybe we want to replicate that because Joss Whedon is the one that sort of helped encourage be James Gunn and make a James Gunn film, which is exactly what Guardians was. Right. So it's funny that you say that. There was just too much comedy in this film in general, to be honest. And some of it was great. Like some of it was really iconic, but then other parts it was like Ultron being funny. It was like, what? I like, don't get that. Like, yeah. Like, why is he well, forgetting because... the word for children? He's an AI. How does he forget what? The, how does he forget the word children? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like, why because, is he stuttering? Because there's so much information in his head, and and part of the humor was the fact, the sarcasm, is because a good portion of him is Jarvis, which is Tony Stark, which is arguably one of the most sarcastic characters. Yeah, no, I understand that. I just, you know, I feel like it took um, away from yeah. like evil genius part of it. Like, you know, well, yeah. One of my favorite lines in the the I said this movie has a couple of my favorite lines, and one of them is when uh, Tony Stark swears, and nope, Cap, says, nope, the other way around, isn't it? No, Tony Stark swears, and Captain America says language. Oh, I'm sorry. And they never let him hear the end of it because, you know, he corrected his language in the middle of a fight. I mean, there's a lot of great humor, like nicely timed. Like, I really liked the humor between um, Clint and Pietro. Um, I liked the humor, like, between Thor and Cap. And, like, you know, Cap just gets really beat up in this movie. Um, like, the humor and, and Clint, but, like, there were just certain times where it was like very like kind of took you out of the moment of how serious things were. Um, oh, what's your favorite line just... from this movie? I don't... My favorite. Line? Oh, sorry. I don't know. What's my favorite line from this movie? When when um, Pietro is running away and Clint goes, I could shoot him. Who would know? I, uh, I, I, I don't know. The last I saw him. He was being he was being sat on by an Ultron, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I do like that line. I also and yeah. this line to me was very like I don't think there's a more Joss Whedon moment in this film when when Quicksilver gets shot at the end and he says, "I bet you didn't see that coming." And then he falls over dead. I don't think there's a more Joss Whedon thing in this film than that moment. I don't understand I'm, how that happened, though. Like, I, I, he's so fast, and I just got done watching all the, I just got done watching the, um, the X Men movies, and you see the, the, theoretically the same character, and how fast he can move and rearrange, and even in this movie, he was able to move so fast, and yet, it's. It's funny you say that, actually, because I had that in mind, like, while I was watching it, you know, and I think it actually, I think they actually did a kind of good job of explaining how it happens, because you see throughout the movie when he's really pushed, 
to like get people out of the way of the train and like do all these things. You can tell he's getting out of breath and he's tired. Um, I noticed that a lot more on this rewatch. Like he was tired. Like there were multiple scenes that really pointed that out. So I'm wondering like if that was their hint. Like it's not that he wasn't fast enough. It's just he was exhausted. Yeah, maybe. And also because if if Wanda didn't have her full power potential because it was theoretically something new was it new for him right at, at this point because like i said it having watched that character in the x-men and then to see him in this movie to be taken down relatively easily i was like that didn't sit right you know it just seemed like you know, but now that you say that, you know, he, he seemed that he was tired, it makes more sense because he didn't, because although everybody else gets a little bit of doubt, he's pretty much moving through most of the, the movie. Hey everyone, it's James, recurring guest on Paul and All. Just taking the time out here to let you know about a special bonus episode of Paul and All available right now on Content Club. In it, Paul and I discuss a failed pilot, How I Met Your Dad. We were prepared for How I Met Your Father. Yes, there are two different shows. This episode will never be released in the main feed. So go check it out right now at Content Club, only at patreon.com forward slash clock shelves. Thank you. And, right. you, know, and you know, he's moving, moving. And you have to assume like he's, and again, I was just thinking about this going through it because I felt the same way. I was, I love Aaron Taylor Johnson. So I was very, very upset. Um, and I was thinking throughout the movie, like, let me watch to see if there's any, like, signs of this happening. And there's multiple times where they specifically go to his character to show that he's out of breath and tired. Yeah. And you have to think, too, like, if you're doing that much running, you have to have such a water intake to, like, keep up with that. And we don't see him drink yeah. water at all. I'm just pointing that yeah. out. <laughs> I, I think... Well, and just, just calories, you know, like, you know expending that kind of energy you would have to eat a lot too part of the problem with this quicksilver is you can't help but compare it to the x-men quicksilver that you get in the fox movies and the the quicksilver in those movies are just he's just so incredibly fast like he's like a god amongst humans like honestly it's almost a problem for those movies because he could solve almost every single problem that they have ever and then yeah. in future movies, they got to, you know, find a way to, to cripple him somehow and nerf him so that he's he doesn't just solve the movie. But he's he's like so much incredibly faster than than this. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like having just gotten done, you yeah. know, I literally just got done watching all those movies. And then to see this incarnation of that same character, it was just wait, that doesn't. Now, when you say that he seemed tired and again, the fact that these are relatively new powers for them, where the other was something that he had grown up with his entire life. Right. And learned to deal with. Um, but yeah, that that was it, it. Like I said, it just it just surprised me that and not just hit once, but multiple times. But he was not paying attention, I guess, to all the things that were happening. He was focused on what he was doing at the, at the second. Well, I mean, realistically, you don't have to deal with questioning things about him too long. Yeah. Mm. Oh. 
There is that. <laughs> I Love honestly, Lisa, I swear, I was hoping that I would get some sort of reaction from you on that. Because <laughs> I just, I think he, I mean, I, I don't want to go too off topic, but like, I think Kick Ass is one of the best superhero movies, even rivals many Marvel movies. I think it's just a phenomenally done movie. And I absolutely adored him in that. And um, so I have a soft spot for Aaron Taylor Johnson. I mean, I like, I like him too. It's just, I can't help compare the character to, to the X Men, and I just like that X Men character so much better. And right. I just, it almost feels like they felt like Quicksilver was obligatory to have in. Like, oh well, well we want to do Scarlet Witch. We really want to focus on Scarlet Witch. I guess we should put do Quicksilver as well. I, mean, I guess we have to do Quicksilver. That's almost what it felt like. Right. Well, she needed like her villain origin story of, you know, he he dies. And so now she's an Avenger because she needs to avenge his death. You know, So let me ask you this. Um, We did an episode a while back and I talked about this, you know, Internet rumor conspiracy theory thing that Kevin Feige didn't like the the fact that, you know, the TV series exist of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in particular. So he decided, well, we're going to get rid of S.H.I.E.L.D. because then there can be no Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and what have you. Do we think, conspiracy theory hats on, do we think that bringing in the character of Quicksilver here and killing him off was a way to sort of take a jab at the Fox X-Men films? I think it was more they didn't want to compete. Right. I, th- I think it was more they knew that their Quicksilver wasn't as good, maybe. But they it's, now correct me if I'm wrong. Did the X Men? I don't think the X Men films they brought in Quicksilver, but I don't think they brought in Scarlet Witch, right? No. So then no. why could she's hinted at? But <laughs> why couldn't they theoretically have just brought in Scarlet Witch if that's who they were just going to keep? Why even bring him in to begin with? She needs her villain origin story. And again, she doesn't like, even have her like, mutant origin story in this. They could have easily come up with another way to make her an Avenger. That's true. <laughs> but it's that it's that deep dark pain of having, you know, and and it and it comes back again having loved someone literally from birth for her, and you know caring so deeply about someone, and then having them lost. Well, yeah, there's and a whole theory that, about that, that too. Does. <laughs> what that does to you, yeah. you know, yeah. and so then, like, you know, later on, you know, no spoiler, but, you know, we we know that she comes to care for someone else very deeply. Yeah. And, you know, so and what she's willing to do after that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But then again, so. even if, if you look at the if you look at the movies going forward, she she never even like references her brother or mentions her. It kind of seems like she's over it pretty quick and then See? you know other things happen and that becomes that becomes a little it, dep- more... it, it depends though because in some cases when there's a deep loss like that people internalize it and it's not something that they talk about but it's something that plays inside of them yeah that doesn't really help in a in a you know tell me don't show me business i understand that but you know <laughs> You can say, and that you're like, you're right. That is a human nature thing. But in the business, you know, show business, and I know it's called show business, but the 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 concept is always tell me, don't show me. You know, 
it doesn't if we're supposed to think that about her they i don't think that they did a very good job of portraying that that's just maybe it's maybe you just have to look harder for that you know like like lisa miss went back to look for the signs of why quicksilver wasn't as quick maybe moving forward we have to look a little bit harder at even just the fact of how much of a hard time um wanda has making interpersonal uh connections right within the group because when you've cared about someone and lost them it makes it that much harder to make those connections all right somebody make a note of that that's what we're gonna have to look for the next time that she's in a film well, I mean, it is true. I mean, the only person she really forms a truly, truly deep connection with is somebody who technically can't die. I mean, we see that proven wrong, of yeah. course. But I mean, t- she becomes she becomes close with um, artificial intelligence. She doesn't become that close with any humans in her life after that. Yeah, because she doesn't because she doesn't trust people, you know. Because you know, well, and people don't twice. trust her. Well, yeah, that too. That too. So we talked about it before, um, and Lisa, I know because we probably have more on her list. I was, I, I, I'm going to get back to that in a moment. I just want to, I, I want to. So we said about you know, with the character of Wanda going forward and whatnot, and we said before how this film feels like, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny how the first Avengers film was a culmination of everything. But then this film feels like it's purposely setting up a few different things, such as the next Thor movie, even future Avengers movies, what's going to happen with the Hulk, which we see, you know, and things like that. And um, we talked about the fact that we we get introduced to at least one character and a we hear the name of a country that we're definitely going to get uh introduced to very soon and i said before about how i felt that the announcement of the civil war film and how many characters were going to be in that and it maybe took away from this obviously we all know sort of where we're at at this point in 2022 when we're recording this with the mcu but do we think that that helped Looking back, if we can try to put our minds sort of in in where it, when this came out, what is it, 2015 this came out, 16, something like that. Do we think it helped or that it hurt to sort of set up, you know, Wakanda and Black Panther, Thor Ragnarok, things like that? Or did it sort of, again, like I know we kind of said before, certain things kind of took away from this. Did did it kind of take away or did it help? Because we we know there's more coming, so they might as well just set it all up here in you know this group film. I think oh. it makes. Sorry. Oh, no, you can go. Let's go. I was gonna say I think it makes for interesting rewatches. Um, because of course, like when you hear about these things and you're watching the movie the first time, it's really exciting. Like, oh boy, Wakanda's gonna come and everything else. Um. But upon the rewatch and seeing all the Easter eggs, it's like, did they really know, like, what the hell they were going to show in the Hawkeye film, in the Hawkeye TV series back in 2015? I mean, like, it's stuff like that really makes you appreciate the MCU even more. So I would say, just for the sake of rewatches, that 
having those Easter eggs is really makes you appreciate the series as a whole. I was thinking about uh, how this movie sets up Thor Ragnarok. And maybe it's just because the Thor stuff is kind of vague and confusing and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. (laughs) But it's like Thor Ragnarok doesn't seem like it's what they were teasing because it it felt like Thor's Thor was good. Thor, you know, Thor was going to go investigate Infinity Stones and do this and that's not Thor Ragnarok at all. And I don't know. Well, now, okay. Plus, so... like, the Hulk side of things. It's like, how does Hulk end up... That's what I really started wondering at the end of rewatching this movie. How does Hulk end up where he ends up? Because the Quinjet, they say, oh, the Quinjet's in the ocean. He must have swam to Fiji. Okay, how does he get from Fiji to where he is? Uh, the... Was that ever explained properly? From what I... I saw something briefly, again, doing a little bit of research for this, and one of the things was that there was supposed to be a a line, or it was either a line or a post-credit scene, or something along those lines, maybe even just a scene at the end, where we were going to see Hulk somewhere... Or it was Again, it was either we were going to see or we were going to be told that Hulk was somewhere out near Saturn but they didn't want people thinking, oh, they're going to do a Planet Hulk movie. And then we ended up getting what we got. <laughs> so I, I agree with what you're saying. Now, the the, the thing I will say about the Thor uh, thing, I wonder if, and Liam, I think you said this when we talked about Iron Man 3, how there's just certain things that, they will just retcon if it wasn't well received by the audience or what have you, they'll just say, well, we're going to do it this way and kind of hope that, that you don't necessarily look and go, well, wait a minute. You said you were setting this up when actually you followed through with this. And I wonder if the Thor Ragnarok thing is sort of that where maybe Joss Whedon sort of, and I'm not just saying him, but maybe Joss, and or Kevin Feige wanted to take it one way and it wasn't as well received or it didn't play as well as they thought it was going to. And so then when it came time to actually do the Thor film, it was what, and you know, especially getting, cause isn't Ragnarok where Taika Waititi first comes into the, you know, to yeah. help shepherd some stuff with the MCU. Right. So yeah. adding that other layer of, you know, and I'm, I don't want to necessarily compare him to anyone else, but sort of that James Gunn esque. Hey, let's get some witty one-liners and and action and comedy and all of these things. And so maybe because they they went a different way creatively with Joss Whedon exiting the Russo brothers, you know, taking a little bit more on as sort of producers and shepherds of the whole thing. I wonder if maybe that's where some of that retconning, like you've mentioned before, sort of comes in. So does the Quinjet have deep space capabilities? You're still stuck on this. <laughs> Actually, I believe, according to many seasons later on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. yes. Yeah, I was okay. going to say. Because okay, they, I, I guess yeah. I'll I'll give that a pass. I mean, that's like, talking <laughs> like life support. I'll give that a pass, oxygen. he says. <laughs> you need to be pretty fast, too, because space travel takes a 
long, long time. I just want a two-hour-long podcast of you being angry about the Quinjet going to space. <laughs> uh, but but so really interesting what you were saying, Paul, though, that, you know, I think, and this is my opinion, of course, I think the first two Thor movies were complete disasters. And I think, again, after seeing the success of Guardians, they had to do, like you said, a total retcon and say, you know what? We need to just, like, take a chance and gamble with this and just try to use that formula. And they were highly successful because Ragnarok is one of the best-received MCU films. So I think they were very smart to to take that risk. Making a note of it, someone please remind me. So if Lisa is super impressed with Thor Ragnarok, I need to get her and Steve Peterson on because I'm pretty sure he thinks that that movie is terrible and that Taika Waititi is not a good director. So I need to make a mental note of that. I think it's good. I don't think it's not one of my favorites, but if you compare it to the first two Thor movies, that thing deserves an Oscar. I mean, I mean they were so oh, bad those supposed first to be two. On, on Ragnarok with. Are you actually making a note, Steve? I am. <laughs> it's okay. Steve. So I, Lisa, I will give you Thor. The, the, there's a YouTube channel that I that I watch, and they always refer to it as Thor: The Dark Thor. And I think that one was not good at all. I actually liked the first one. I'm not saying it's like one of my favorites. I actually liked the first one. The second one, I was not a fan of really. Um, But yeah, I actually, I I will say that. I haven't watched the third one in in quite a while. Um, But I actually did like the first one, not so much on the second one. So I'll agree with you there. Over this last year, the entertainment space changed drastically. With many TV series being binged, many films seeing digital releases like never before, and many in show business starting or growing their online presence. Many actors, directors, producers, and more began to delve into the world of podcasting. Whether it was actors re-watching and giving behind-the-scenes details on their long-running series, directors appearing to discuss their filmographies, or even comedians launching series to help grow their audience in a time when touring was non-existent, the podcasting landscape changed. And though we at Clockshelves Entertainment have tried to consistently bring you new content, we know we haven't always kept up our end of the bargain. But we would like to take a moment to thank you for sticking with us. And with so many options out there, we began to question how we exactly fit into the current space. We realized that although we may not have those involved in your favorite Marvel films or your favorite TV series or music genre, we have the unique fan perspective. We have something no one else has. Global reactions, enticing aspects, tantalizing topics in many entertaining scenarios. Yes, we have great times. We have the unique perspective of offering the different viewpoints from literally all around the globe. We'd like to thank you for sticking with us and we hope to continue bringing you more great times ahead. We've always said, Clock Shelves Entertainment is a great way to pass the time. Great times ahead. And yes, I think the formula that they did, which was like, you know, the sort of let's go sort of in this direction. And it obviously it proved well because 
they're bringing they brought i guess depending on how you look at it taika watiti back for the you know for for something else another one let's just say (laughs) i'll i'll say this it's i by the end of this movie I didn't care about Thor at all. Like at, at the end of this movie, I could have lost Thor for all we care. I didn't give a crap about him. It is. It was such a huge, it was such a quick 180 turnaround because by the time Ragnarok comes along, it's like one of my favorite characters. And I, Ragnarok is one of my favorite. It, it's definitely a top five movie for me at least. And so it's just an impressive turnaround how they can change this character. But then, you know, Infinity well, the War, they kind of... Movie backtrack a little but that's another conversation in this movie the fact that they were all going through all this and he went i gotta go find out what's going on and he left them right we talked about this in the first avengers podcast and i think it plays and like liam you even just kind of said even in um you know infinity war and and what have you the one of the problems and I, I think at overall, generally speaking, the MCU does a good job balancing this. But the problem is, um, and I, I said, we talked about it a good amount, I think, in the first Avengers um, podcast that we did. John Favreau, I think, even said it back in like the, you know, the middle of phase one. John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. and Kevin Feige did such a fantastic job of building the character and the film of Iron Man as 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 realistic as you can get with the fantastical elements of, you know, he can just hold his hand out and the machine will build build itself around him. Like obviously that's the fiction part of science fiction, right? But they did it where it seems realistic. All the technology checks out and what have you. And the Thor movies are fantastical in the fact that it's gods and it's magic and and all of these things. And it does a very good job with that. But the problem is when you bring that quote-unquote realistic science element of Captain America, of Iron Man, of even the Hulk to a certain extent... And then you get that fantasy sort of thing of Thor in this version that they've made in the MCU. They don't always blend well together because they're they're two as much as they can, quote unquote, exist in the same universe. They're two different worlds, no pun intended, but they are two different worlds. One is and I know Thor even says the line in one of the films, you know, uh, was he say something about uh, science, magic you know, I come from a place where they are one in the same, but they don't do as good of a job as presenting it as such. Yeah. Yeah. From like, I, uh, me and Tierney were talking about this, um, before how, you know, one of my biggest gripes with this movie, um, is the Thor scenes. I mean, I think they were rushed. They were completely unnecessary in regards to the plot of the movie. Um, I mean, I, th- I just think that they either should have been included in another movie or, you know, built upon in some other way. Because the haphazard, like, 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 we're all of a sudden he's with the doctor and they're at a well or something. Like, it was just very... Yeah, and they don't explain what the well is. If you watch right. the deleted scene, they tell you what the well is. But if you don't watch the deleted scene, you have no idea where the heck they are. 
Or right. What's I'm like, going on? Why did he go there? What was the purpose? Right. And then like you see you see his vision of the stones and I get that they're trying to set up the movies to come and everything, but I just feel like those scenes could have been somewhere in another movie or something because putting it there just further gave so much more information and confusion. That's just my opinion. See, I don't know. Mm. Uh, here's here's what I will say. And now maybe it's only because we didn't see as much exploration from some of the other characters but he goes to investigate that because of the hallucination that wanda puts right like she she has she gives steve a hallucination of you know back from the war and dancing with peggy and all of those things and but Steve doesn't necessarily go to like investigate, like what does it mean? Because it wasn't a prophetic thing, you know. And, and what was it? Sorry. What? Nothing. Oh yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but you know <laughs> what I mean. Like it, it theoretically, it wasn't a prophetic thing. But for Thor, because oh, of come on, I'm the only one that noticed that. But because of Thor and the the concept of the mythology, like, you know, the Norse mythology and Ragnarok being a thing. And, uh, you know, we, we find out from the Thor film that, um, you know, the reason that we as humans believe in the Norse gods is because they were here and all of those things. So for him, it was a prophetic thing. So he needed to go off and sort of search for it. Now, did all should all of that have been done in something else? Yes, but it does right. kind of make sense that it would be here because it was based off of what happened in this film. Should he have just left everyone or whatever, like he did, just be like, okay, I'm gonna go off of my own little side quest here? No, right. I mean, I think it could have been done where it's like, you know. I'll help you guys with all this stuff, but then I'm like immediately leaving because I gotta go figure out what the hell this is versus disrupting the entire flow of the movie and then all of a sudden where he has the vision with Ragnarok, Rock, he's in a well and then he comes back. It's, well, that's just... that was the end. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that was sort of the end of the first Avengers. Was okay. We've defeated Loki. And now I understand y'all have to fix things here on Earth, but I need to take him back and he needs to face the wrath of our father. And then the then the Thor movie we kind of pick up there where it's like okay now he's facing the wrath of of Odin because Thor doesn't stick around because he doesn't need to because what happens on Earth is Earth Earth related things and that could have easily been done here where he's just like oh wow I had this weird vision and guys I need to I, I will help you with what's going on here but yeah I need to book it right after this because I need to figure out what the hell that means. Right. Like, I think it would have made more sense if those scenes were fleshed out in the beginning of Ragnarok. Why did he need Selvig's help? Like, what did what did he contribute to that mission? Throwing in another confusing name person into the mix. I mean, just I just to have like a oh, he was a, he was an important in these last three movies, you know. Well, and that's the thing. I have a minor part wasn't... for him here. He wasn't as important in the movies, but it was a matter of there was an issue with, was it uh, Kira Knightley? Nope, Natalie Portman, the other one, the American Dang, one. I always get it wrong. Yeah, I always one. get it wrong. But anyway, there was an issue with her not wanting to come back and do the movies. So then then suddenly he had a he had a bigger part to play. Well, that's true, because he doesn't, except for, except for the Avengers and Jane Foster and Selvig and Darcy... 
Thor doesn't really have anyone here on Earth that he trusts. So if he's kind of on the outs with Jane at this point, Jane is obviously super close with Darcy. It makes it, I guess it kind of would make sense that he would turn to. But the we're only not other. supposed to. But we're not supposed to know because he's he's saying she's off doing this and that. Like him and him and uh, Tony Stark were having uh, a were they having a peeing contest over which one of their girlfriends were better? Yeah. So you know, theoretically, he's supposed to still be with her. So why wouldn't he have gone to her? Because if they're on oh, the outs, of doing... course you're gonna, of course you're gonna talk your girlfriend up in front of your friends, mm -hmm. even if you're fighting with her, because you, well, yeah, wanna... you don't want, yeah, you don't want anybody to know, yeah, right. Um, one of the things that I did like, though, and and Lisa, I, 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 if you if you can't defend the fact that these scenes made for for good times in this movie. Um, and I know maybe it's it's part of that, you know, there was a little, you know, too much kind of odd Huber. The, uh, the who is worthy of lifting Thor's hammer oh, scenes. That. I was just going to bring that up. That okay. was the next on my list, of course. <laughs> um, I love that. And again, like the rewatchability, like going back to this movie after obviously what happened to the last movie um, is so much fun. I mean, it's just so much fun to to really debate, like, was well, actually, he able to it, lift it? Well, okay, so I went, I watched it real carefully that, that at that point. If you look at Thor's face when Cap goes to try and lift the thing, it moves. Well, right. It, it, it actually moves. And Thor gets this look. And then when, when uh, Steve realizes that he could, he doesn't do it. He goes, I think that's uh, what it is. No. You know, he like fakes it out that he couldn't do it. But yeah. I think that I think that too, but some people say that he was only able to move it a little bit because he still had a lot of issues to resolve in terms of um, you know, Bucky. So Yeah, there's there is that, but like I said, if you look at if you look you can see on on Thor's face oh, when it yeah. moves at all. Like, wait, what? Yeah. I think the going theory about why Steve might not be worthy at this point is because he's still hiding uh, the information about Tony's parents right. from Tony. Right. Well, yeah, because he's doing the research on Bucky. So he, he's learning, you know, he's learning more about about all of that. But still, he's got a lot of other things. I, I don't think that that one thing is, is what kept him. I think he did it because... I think at that point he did it because he didn't want to embarrass um, he didn't want to embarrass Thor in the fact that he could move it too or embarrass everybody else that they couldn't. I mean, I part one, the fact that, that Wanda didn't or not Wanda, but um, Nat didn't even want to try. I mean, I like both theories. I'm like game for either one um, because one shows his humility and then one shows he's not perfect. So I'm I'm OK with yeah. whichever one is the real one or both, you know? Yeah. You know, when it comes down to it, it is both. You know, he is he is very humble in in his he he doesn't take pride in what he has become. Yeah, because he he knows where he came from. There's a lot that goes. I mean, obviously, I'm more, keen, I'm more observing and, and keen to what happens to Cap, but 
there's a lot of sad moments in this movie for Cap. And and again, they're very subtle. You know, even Tony points it out at one point where he's like, oh, like, you're fine. In case you didn't know, we are trying to get back into the gist of doing some Lost with Friends episodes about once a month. Um, of course, available early and uninterrupted over at Content Club. Um but we're looking at doing things like covering deleted scenes, certain character arcs, and, uh, you know, various uh, discussions about all sorts of bonus sort of topics with regards to Lost. Of course, as many of you may know, Lost is what brought myself and various friends that uh, appear on these podcasts together. It was uh, one of the flagship shows for such a long time, and realizing how important it was uh, and not being ready to remember, let go, and move on, we had to go back! So we are trying to get back into the swing of doing Lost with Friends about once a month, uh, so... Uh, We've been behind a little bit, I will admit, uh, but we are trying to get back into that, like I said, available early and uninterrupted over on Content Club, and then, uh, uh, again, in the main Lost with Friends feed. So go check that out. There's a few episodes available right now that you can go check out. Bonus episodes of Lost with Friends from Clock Shelves Entertainment. Like, why are you fine if she got in your head, too? And it's like... There's so many subtle moments in the movie where you see he's really, really struggling with this idea of, like, what is his goal in life? Like, where does he belong and and what does he want from his life? And it's just it, it was very sad for me watching the movie, noticing those little moments. Yeah, because where what does he have? Who does he have realistically? Peggy um, Carter's niece. Yeah, oh, please. But... <laughs> I mean, Captain America's storyline throughout throughout the MCU has always kind of been finding his place in this new world that he's suddenly found himself in and not really feeling like he belongs. Uh, He's just the way the way they end his arc kind of doesn't work at all for me. They kind of blow it in the last five minutes, but that's another Topic yeah, for a, that's, a another, that's, not, that's not now. That's not I'd now. have to disagree with you, but that's another me debate too. that'll be yeah, uh, too. we'll talk. But it is just more continuing <laughs> Captain America's not really feeling like it belongs kinda uh you, is it Ultron who says something like like thinking you could live without a war and then he's at like yeah. the, the the very military esque Avengers campus and he's talking about how it feels like home to him in a way. Yeah, well, yeah because that's you know, for the, well, because we see that his family died when he was young, so what became his family was the military, you know, because he didn't want to, although Bucky's family would have welcomed him in, he didn't, he didn't feel worthy or that he belonged there, and that's why he tried so hard to fit in with the military and was willing to, you know, like, like he said to who did he say to about you know what kind of monster would volunteer for um i love that yeah you know what what kind of monster would volunteer for for these um uh you know trials or whatever you know so yeah i i love that line i, I love the connect it, i mean it's interesting how each one of them 
perceives themselves to be the monster. You know, Bruce Banner looks in looks at the Hulk and sees a monster, but each one of them looks at themselves and sees a monster. Yeah, that's. I think that's the theme throughout, and I think that's where that line with Black Widow gets. Um, was obviously not well written and, and confused a lot of people because I think I think it is a cool theme throughout the movie of like are we monsters and, and I think you know Cap references that in his speech in the plane where he says you know are we gonna prove Ultron right or are we gonna prove him wrong you yeah know, that because, that we're not you know it, it, it it's one of those things where you know each one of them is a monster each one of them is a hero and I think that speaks a lot to oh my gosh I just got deep there for a second but it speaks a lot to each of us as individuals because there are some things that we're proud that we've done and some things that we're grateful that nobody else knows that we've done, you know? And, um, you know, it's, it's all a matter of perspective as to where you're looking, what you see. Right. And I think perhaps one of the only people, especially in the beginning with the twins to really identify with them and to, you know, have that objective view of like, well, you know, they're not bad people. They're they're standing up for their country. And I I just love his view of that because I feel like so many of us don't view the world in that way. Well, yeah, and, and that's he, what caused he identified, a lot. he identified with them so much the fact that they were they were orphans uh, orphaned as children and right. they they volunteered for a kind of sketchy thing because they felt that it was going to make a difference for their country and that's exactly what he did you know he 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 wanted to basically make the world a better place and was what he did right not necessarily no more than what they did was right right you know it had it had right adjacentness maybe but not a hundred percent Um, there's one more thing I want to talk about and then pretty much we covered everything else in my notes. Um, I wanted to talk about, um, Vision just has the best lines in the MCU. Um, and I loved his chat with the last Ultron at the end. And he says, but a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. And I just think that's such a gorgeous, gorgeous line. And it makes sense, you know, moving forward with the, you know, but what is grief of that love persevering that we see in the the TV series? So I just wanted to highlight the beauty of that line. Hi, friends. This is Ruth from Just Plain Crazy Face Art of Northeast Pennsylvania. We are now accepting bookings for birthday parties as well as festivals. We offer face painting, glitter tattoos, as well as henna body art. We also offer the option of adding games or crafts to your party as well. Please check out our party services page on our website, justplaincrazyfaceart.com. Our face painting is done with water-based cosmetic products that are easily removed with soap and water. Let us use our 18-plus years in business to help you add color and fun to your event. We also have a large network of talented face art friends around the world, so even if we're not local to you, we probably know artists who are. Feel free to contact us to put you in touch with artists in your area. There's a lot of really cool lines. Like I said, there's the one um, that, that the, like funny lines 
there's the one, but then there's another deep line. Hold on. I got to look, look at my note because, um, when, uh, when they talk about, uh, you know, going together, you know, well, what happens, you know, if we lose, then we'll lose together, you know, yeah. you know, we're either going to win together or lose together, but whatever we do, as long as we do it together, you know, and it, 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 that's ironic for what comes next in right. that universe because they don't stand together and what happens, you know? So Thanos gets, uh, gets ahead of them. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's, like I said, there's some interesting, you know, interesting things foreshadowing, let's say, in, yeah. in some of it. Somewhere Kevin's listening to this and just shivered. <laughs> Why? He doesn't like foreshadowing? Um, oh, no, no, no. Does, does, okay, so does does everyone know why, whenever we're on any of the podcasts and we always joke and we say it like that, it was a foreshadowing, do we, do we know why that is? So, I don't remember where it was, but years back, Kevin was, like, said it, and because I, you know, I was starting to use that term a lot on lost, uh, the lost with friends podcast. And he brought it to my attention the one day, like, Oh, you keep saying this and it keeps like giving me like chills or whatever. And I was like, why? And he had an English teacher in high school who would always like, if they were reading a story or if they were watching a film or whatever, he would pause it and he would go, now this is foreshadowing class or something like that. <laughs> and so, but he was, he was always pointing out a lot of the literary techniques, but one of them in particular that, that Kevin always clung on to was foreshadowing. So anytime he's ever on something or now I kind of do it as like a joke and, you know, to see if he'll ever like text me about it or whatever, it's always, you know, I always say, and a few of us say the word foreshadowing with a bit of an emphasis because that's how he said it like those one or two times. And so that's just become a, a running joke in like the clock shelves mythology of foreshadowing. Huh. So if any of you ever go back and listen to any of the other things, that's if you ever hear us say that, whether Kevin's on or not, or if, you know, I'll sometimes I'll go and Kev foreshadowing. Like, I'll always like kind of give like a, a, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to him, especially if he's on the episode. And then you'll probably hear him like chuckle or something mostly sarcastically in the background. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, well, because this movie set up so many other things, there is so much of that thing happening a lot, you know? Yes. Uh, Ruth, you said you had some notes as well. Uh, we went over my notes. Okay. We got them all. <laughs> I didn't have a lot. No, the last, the last, the last thing that you and I did I had a whole ton of notes. Yes. But this one I only had um I only had a few. So we we pretty much yeah, cuz I I wanted Oh, no, there was one more thing. So I had to go back and double check, but I thought it was kind of interesting that in the um in Captain America and the Winter Soldier uh when they were going to put the um when they were going to put the ships up, there was a young man who refused to um launch i thought it was kind of neat that he was the one who launched the lifeboats to save the people from sokovia okay i checked to see to make sure but it it was the same actor 
who wouldn't launch the murder ships into space, but he was the one who launched the lifeboats. Um, nice. I like from that. the from from the Quinjet because I, I like I said I I had to check because I was like wait he looks really familiar and I had to go back and look because he kind of stuttered when he was trying to you know trying to get them to to you know to launch but yeah he was the one who who launched the lifeboats to save all the all the people of Sokovia where he wouldn't go against Captain America to to launch the um the what the heck were they called? I know what you're talking Whatever about. I don't remember what they were called though. Yeah, but those ships. He wouldn't he wouldn't launch the ships, but he would, you know, he was quick to launch the launch the lifeboats to save the people. I just thought it was neat that they had the same um the same actor back and to do the, the right same, thing this time. Yep. Yeah, as the same. Well, because he literally had a gun to his head and still refused. Yeah. So I I thought that was that was kind of neat that, you know, he he took a stand and took a side and was still staying with that side of being on the side of, of right. And, you know, protecting the people as opposed to, um, well, you so, know, yeah. So with... I was wondering why they like zoomed in on him twice and like had him say those lines. And now it makes sense why they focused on him so much. Yeah. Because like I said, I, I had to go, I had to go and check it to make sure, but yeah, it was the same the same actor, the same character that was there that um, because he he like hid under the tables. Well, basically, because um, uh, Peggy Carter's niece kicked him out of his chair when they went to when they went to shoot him. And so, you know, but he got away. And so it's kind of, it was kind of nice to know that he actually survived that whole debacle that was happening there. And he still was able to, you know, stay a part of doing what was right. So I thought it was kind of cool. Oh, the character's name is, uh, I, I think maybe it was novelization or something else that named him, but it was it's Cameron Klein, which he, he does get referenced again in a future MCU movie. So that might be something to look, to look out for. I'll have to put that in my notes too. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, I thought that, I thought that was kind of neat that, that they, you know that they continued that um, continued that character to you know know because you know sometimes things like that happen and and you don't know and you never see that character again and you go hmm, wonder what happened to so and so because they don't say right. Uh, speaking of people coming back from that movie, one thing we didn't really touch on too much is uh, Nick Fury returning. In this one, we kind of talked a little bit before about um, about uh, Hawkeye's family and and, you know, obviously in the future of the MCU, we get a lot more on sort you know, some some Hawkeye sort of stuff. We don't see too much of him in these first few films that he's in um, other than, you know, the fact that he's supposed to be the best archer and whatever but i've seen things where people who are like professional archers are like yeah if he was so good he wouldn't have to have two things on his wrist to deflect the arch the what you call it you know the arrow yeah yeah so you know but that's a whole other thing but um he has uh 
his wife, Linda Cardellini, who most people think they know from the Scooby-Doo movies or half the people on the internet have like just discovered over the last year and a half. Oh my goodness. That's, that's Velma from the Scooby-Doo movies. Yes, it is. Um, oh, she also, that's Pam from ER actually. Actually, no, Paul, who it's, is she? <laughs> it's Lindsay Weir from Freaks and Geeks. That's true. But <laughs> I first saw her as Sam from ER, and I loved her. She's the the one chick from the show Bloodline on Netflix. You lost me on that one. Yep. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Bloodline was a good show. It was uh, Kyle Chandler, uh, Ben Mendelsohn, who, oh, okay. who's also who's also an MCU. Okay. You got you you got me back. I'll Pretty look into show. it. <laughs> um. But yes, we see, you know, we hear that, because uh, I think, was it Stark says, like, oh, these, they have to be spies or whatever, because it takes them all, except for Natasha, by surprise that um, he has a family that none of them knew about, and he has this safe house and what have you, and he says that, you know, it's something that, that Fury helped set up as part of his agreement to work for slash with S.H.I.E.L.D., and then we see the character of Nick Fury actually show up there and help them out. And we see him, of course, help towards the end. And I said, I think I said, um, how at the beginning of the film, um, they uh, they reference, you know, like they're going after Strucker. Now, for those who have been paying attention podcast-wise, in the TV series Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they... Uh, in the the episode that aired right before this film came out, they find these plans, and Coulson speaks with Maria Hill and says, "Hey, I, you know, we found like the you know we found Strucker and think we might have found Loki's scepter. We're not strong enough to handle it. You know, what do you do? You think you can take this to Stark and maybe have the Avengers on it?" And she's like, yeah, I'll I'll get right on that or whatever. And then this film opens with that scene. And then at the end, Fury comes in with the helicarrier. And as you will hear on the next podcast, there's a little bit of talk on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. about sort of how that helicarrier came to be. So there's a little tease for you and a little, you know, sort of hint if you're not listening to the TV. Well, it's interesting because he says, Fury says he pulled it out of mothballs. He says something. He says he he says something about. Uh, didn't he say he got it from a friend or something? I thought he said he pulled it out of mothballs. I think he said he said both. He said like I pulled it out of mothballs with some old friends. Yeah. So, I thought that was I I I, I like and I know not everybody and you know it's a whole ongoing debate especially now. Um, with everything, you know, moving to Disney Plus and what have you, and what is and what isn't canon, and is everything canon now and whatever. But I, I liked that concept that, you know, for someone who was watching the TV series and now, you know, for doing this podcast is still watching the TV series, I like that fluidity between show, film, and then back to the show again. That's just a, maybe, maybe I'm the only one. Um, <laughs> Course. One of the other thing we said before about the, you know, lifting of Thor's hammer, of course, the fact that Vision does it is sort of the, it's kind of the, the key moment or a key moment, um, sort of like, uh, 
as unfortunate as it is, similar to Coulson dying that sort of makes them all rally and go, okay, I guess we are all on the same side. Well, yeah, because pretty much Thor goes, all right, that's good enough for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, the, The hammer says he's good. I'm good with the hammer, you know? Just a reminder that if you are enjoying these episodes but don't necessarily want all of these interruptions and advertisement type breaks, you can get the episodes early and uninterrupted over at Content Club. Uh, that is patreon.com slash clockshelves, uh, where you get, of course, early uninterrupted versions of MCU and Me, Paul and All, Lost with Friends. You get uh, some exclusive stuff. You get some uh, promotional material early before even the social medias get it. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, throw some dough if you choose to do so. Very affordable tiers for the great content that you love. It is a great way to pass the time. And it's a great way to keep the mics and lights on. Um, but one of the other things that I... And it's, it's, it's just a minor thing, and it's just sort of... If you get it, you get it. Um, the concept that... Uh, Banner knows that it's difficult to stop Hulk. Natasha can do it, but maybe if she's not around, what are they going to do? And they, he helps him and Tony basically develop what is called Veronica. Now, in the comics, of course, this is more often known as the Hulkbuster. And it's like an additional thing that goes on to Iron Man's costume and, you know, or suit, I guess. And, you know, makes him able more to... And that whole scene, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Like, I love that. Um, yeah. Um, but the reason that it's... Like I said, in the comics, it's it's referred to as the Hulkbuster. It's... Joss Whedon says he specifically did it. And I think this is one of those, like, funny little Joss Whedon quips that I really, really like. The fact that it's called Veronica, for some people who, like, you know, why that's a, that's a goofy name. Because... The character of Bruce Banner is in love with Betty, as we see in the previous ones. Uh, And the opposite of Betty in the Archie comics and in the show Riverdale, if you are aware of the Archie characters only from that, is Veronica. So they made the thing that can take down the Hulk be Veronica because he already has a Betty in his life. And that's just one of those goofy little things that probably shouldn't really be of note, but I just, I, I, I love that. That to me, um, I said before about the, the Quicksilver thing is kind of peak Joss Whedon in terms of, you know, the, the humor and that mixture of, oh my gosh, somebody's dying, but has like a, a quippy line. That's also one of those things where it's just like, let me do for, cause if you get this reference, you get it. If you don't, it just seems like sort of a throwaway thing, but yeah. I wanted to mention the Hulkbuster for a second too, because this is I don't I didn't like the fact that they had Bruce working on it because this is what I question now. This is Bruce Banner and Tony Stark, the two smartest people in the world. You know they're out there making AI left and right, and their solution to take out the Hulk is a bigger Iron Man suit. Like they couldn't come up with like a like a tranquilizer or some type of some type of gas. I mean, they have like a, he uses a gas that does absolutely nothing on the Hulk at that fight. 
But is, is that really the best they could come up with? I thought it would have been much ha- more interesting if is having is having Bruce work on it the best thing because you know nope. how do we know that Bruce because we it's been clearly established up to this point that Bruce Banner and the Hulk are two different people. No, 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 no. My thing is we know that Bruce doesn't like the Hulk. We know that he does not like the Hulk. He would prefer that the Hulk stay away. Right. So if he's worked on this thing, what's to stop him from creating something that makes the Hulk theoretically either stay away, go away, or just kills the Hulk completely? Because that would kill him. Because that would kill him. And he wouldn't, I, I don't, I think he's similar. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think he's similar enough to Tony in I can't let a good mind like mine go just because I don't like the big guy. I I just think it would have been more interesting story if Tony had built Hulkbuster behind Bruce's back. Kind of like they they always talk about Batman having contingencies for taking out the rest of the Justice League. But if you had Tony make Hulkbuster behind his back and that – that plays into the that plays into the tension like everybody has with Tony Stark for the next three movies. I like that. I think yeah, that I do been... too. I, I think that's a, a good thing because you know why would he, you know, he, why would he not have something that could take out theoretically one of the biggest players? Yep. No, I like that. Um, of course, one of the other things that we that that I feel needs to be brought up is in the comic books. The character of Ultron is created by the character of Hank Pym. And at this point, they obviously knew that the next film out would be Ant-Man. I think, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think while they were filming this, Edgar Wright was still working on Ant-Man. Is that right? And then it got switched over somewhere. Probably not. No? No. Probably, I, I want to say no. I don't know for sure, but I feel like Ant Man had to have been in production long enough that it that he that Edgar Wright had already left because Edgar Wright started working on this before Iron Man came. Oh yeah, oh that that part I know. But I just I, I read a thing where somebody questioned Joss Whedon about why didn't they introduce Hank Pym in this to help create Ultron like he did in the comics. And he made the comment, something along the lines of, well, we didn't want to have three scientists. We already have two of the, you know, two incredibly brilliant minds, such as, you know, Stark and Banner. We didn't necessarily feel the need to throw a third one in there. And he said, I'm, I'm not quoting, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines as well of, plus, uh, Edgar Wright already has first dibs on that character. Now, maybe that was done you know, or even earlier when they announced the name of the film as being Age of Ultron, which is also the name of a comic book storyline that they didn't use as well. But I know that, that that was sort of what he had commented on with regards to why, uh, why he didn't, why they didn't feature Hank Pym in the film, despite in the comic books, he's the character that creates Ultron. I mean, I don't really believe that only because they had freaking Dr. Cho who 
gives nothing to the storyline whatsoever, and she halfway creates Ultron. I mean, not Ultron, um, Vision. Like, she was just, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. They didn't, they really mishandled Ultron, in my opinion. It's one of the biggest problems in the movie is they just, they just didn't do Ultron right. Uh, I would, I would say that from, from what I've seen of Avengers that, uh, I mean, like in comics and stuff, is that Ultron is like the Avengers nemesis. Like it's the equivalent of Joker and Batman. I would say it's like the Avengers and Ultron. There's a lot of storylines where Ultron, you know, really messes things up. I think Age of Ultron is like apocalyptic, I think. It's like end of the world. In the comics. I don't know. So, well, yeah, that's the, what I'm saying. The Age of Ultron comic, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. apocalyptic. I, I opened up the Wikipedia page. Uh, 2013 comic that involved the conquest of the Earth by the scient, or I'm sorry, the sentient robot tyrant Ultron. So yeah, if it's the conquest of the Earth, and again, it's it's sort of like I like I said before, not saying that they had to build up the villain over the course of several films, but at least with the first Avengers, we had Loki, who we already knew, and then we got the introduction of oh okay, Thanos is out there somewhere. And then we know in the back of our minds, Thanos is out there somewhere. And like I said, people said, oh, they thought he was going to be the villain of the second one. But it's like, no, 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 we still need to build up to him a little bit more. But then in this one, it's we introduce the, you know, the, the villain, we build him up and then we take him down all in the course of the film. And I don't I and again, I said it before. I don't think it played out as well. I, I agree with what you said, Liam. I think they kind of did a disservice to that character and here's where i think there's so many problems with this movie which i haven't really got gotten into i'm trying to like uh not just rant for 20 minutes about how bad the movie is oh please i think i I mean i would love it i'm sure lisa would if it involves the quinjet a little more but it the movie honestly it feels like a filler movie like it but i think the biggest problem which would have solved like a lot of other problems is I feel like they rushed into this movie. Honestly, if they had, if they had waited a year and if they had pushed it back one year and we had gotten an Ant-Man movie and the black Panther movie, and then you had introduced, and then you had brought those characters into age of, into age of Ultron. I think that would have worked better. And then like you mentioned, not building up Ultron, if you did do an Ant-Man movie first, you could have maybe like a little, a, a little side mention about Ultron from Hank Pym. Maybe like Hank Pym had worked on Ultron in the past, you know, and that he kind of like stopped working on it because he couldn't get it right. And then in Age of Ultron, you can have Tony Stark come in, and then he can kind of like take, take that work that Hank Pym had done, and and kind of, you know, build upon, build upon it, finish Ultron almost. And of course, you you know you have you, you could have Ant Man and Black Panther now in Ultron now in Age of Ultron. A Black Panther story would work very well because vibranium is very important in this movie. So he's you know he's kind of got his own agenda, his own purpose for being there that can create conflict as well. Ant Man can add some humor to the movie, and 
when when I look at this movie compared to Avengers, the whole like point of Avengers was kind of these characters reuniting for the first time. That was kind of the draw of the movie. I don't think this movie had much of a draw because there weren't any characters we had previously seen that are joining. Like Civil War, the draw is kind of, oh, Ant-Man's coming in the mix finally and, you know, getting other characters like Falcon and Winter Soldier who they've been in before, but they haven't interacted with, you know, these characters a lot. But Age of Ultron doesn't have any draw. It's just we're seeing these characters reunite again or team up again, which we've seen all these characters a lot previously. We just had a Thor movie, just had an Iron Man movie, just had a Captain America movie. And Black Widow was in that movie. So I I just think if they had pushed it back a year so, or maybe even two years. Well, that's okay. Huh. So here's – I had to look it up just because I was curious. Now, so one thing I, – I agree – and I, I think that's the problem with a lot of things is, I mean, it's always easier to look back in hindsight, right? And say, oh, well, knowing how things played out, knowing the characters that we see appear in Civil War, oh, it would have been so much better if they were all in Avengers 2. Because a lot of people, and I think Liam, you and I kind of talked about this off mic once, a lot of people think of Civil War as the proper or at least a better version of what the Avengers sequel should have been because you get just as many, if not more people and you get new characters and stuff. And not to say we didn't get new characters in this, obviously we did, but you get a lot of new characters in that one and you get, you know, you get to see a lot more in that. And I think it's a better story and and what have you. So this film came out May 1st, 2015 and then after that was Ant-Man in July of that year. And then we didn't get another film until May of 2016, which was Captain America Civil War. Then Doctor Strange, then Guardians 2, then Spider-Man, Thor Ragnarok, then Black Panther in February of 2018. So yes, the character of Black Panther and certain other characters were introduced, but they would have had to push a lot of stuff they would have had to do a lot of rearranging to do what you're saying. I agree that it sh- it could have been handled a lot better had they put it off or maybe introduced more characters or done something else, you know, switched a few things around. But with the slate that they had at the time, I don't think it would have quite worked on their timetable. Should they have rearranged they would... that timetable? Yes. I think that I think that's just what they should have done. I think they probably didn't value a Black Panther movie as much as they as much as they should have. Hey everyone, earlier in the episode you heard about the monthly content club series Two of Us, a Beatles podcast featuring myself and my father. Well, what you may not know is that uh, before we ever launched it as an official series, we did a sort of test episode. And, excuse me, I put that episode out actually on Content Club uh, months prior, but now that episode is available uh, in the Polynol feed. So you can go check that out. We break down the Beatles song Paperback Writer. Uh, it's 
not an unknown song, but it's not necessarily one of their more uh, popular songs, you know, like uh, Let It Be or Strawberry Fields Forever or, you know, something like that. So um, it was a really fun discussion. You could definitely hear uh, how my dad and I kind of were trying to find our footing. We got into some sort of side conversations about other bands of that era and even, you know, more uh, modern music in comparison, things like that. Um, but we we had a lot of fun recording it, and it was definitely a great way to sort of try and figure out sort of what the dynamic might be. And if you like it, of course, you could go check out the monthly episodes uh, released on Content Club. So go check it out right now. It's a special episode available in the Polynol feed. Uh, two of us, where myself and my dad, Scott, cover Paperback Writer, just one of the many entries into the long and winding road of the Beatles story. Honestly, if, if you're kind of centering this universe around the Avengers, which they are, because at this point they didn't have X-Men or Spider-Man. If you're center, if you're centering this universe around the Avengers, then you don't wait to introduce char- characters like Ant-Man and Black Panther, because they're, they're key members of the Avengers, in my opinion. So, I agree. Now, I believe it was in the first Avengers, there was early talk of introducing the Wasp in there. And, it, you know, then they, they ultimately decided no. And I, I believe for this one, there was early talks of introducing um, Captain Marvel and trying to get when they were, you know, one of the one of the first times that Marvel Studios was trying to work out a deal with Sony to get not only the character of Spider-Man, but I think in the first was it the first Avengers they were gonna they were supposed to show the Oscorp building or something like that and they couldn't yeah. they couldn't get a deal through. Now I believe it was Kevin Feige said that with not having um, not putting Captain Marvel in they they one they couldn't find the right actress to play the part at the time. Now we have to remember this was several years before that actual film and character would debut. But they couldn't find the right actress to do the part, so they couldn't get somebody in in time. They also didn't want to have to introduce a character who was fully formed on their powers, just sort of flies in and is like, by the way, I'm here and I can help and whatever. Which I think kind of works out because you kind of have that with Vision, right? Where he kind of flies in and he's just like, hey... I'm a good guy. I have all these powers. I have all this knowledge. And they're just like, hey, wait a minute. And if they had done that with the character of uh, Captain Marvel or if they had had Black Panther come in or whatever, I think there would have been too much like, wait a minute, where are all of these people coming from? And how, okay, I can get trusting like one because he could lift the hammer and whatever. But like, how do I know I could trust you? How do I know I could trust you? Whatever. In the first Avengers, of course, it was, well, they're all being recruited by Fury and they all have, you know, that connection to Coulson. If you had introduced more characters in this, no matter what timetable you put it on, I don't know if it would have worked introducing the characters here. Now, should they have built it up over the course of several more films before this to then get to that team up? Yes. 
Because Avengers movies needs to they kind of need to be event movies. Yes. And this this didn't feel like an event movie. It felt more like another another Avengers movie, which isn't which is never a good thing. Well, yeah, because so I mean, realistically, think about it. So, Phase One is Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man Two, Thor, Captain America, then the Avengers. Right? We get the introduction of all of those characters. We get the concept of Fury is building this team, and then boom, we have the team. Phase Two is Iron Man Three. Thor the Dark, Thor, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Guardians, then this, then Ant-Man. There was nothing in, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm just not looking hard enough or what have you, but there was not really anything in Iron Man 3, Thor 2, Cap 2 to sort of justify eventually all of these characters coming back together again, except that opening scene. That is the only thing that I will grant you is in cap two they take down shield so it would make sense that to one finish taking down well hydra but to finish taking down hydra and get the scepter which was the kind of the centerpiece for the first one it makes sense that they would have to team up for this but everything after that doesn't quite make sense of why are they all still together it just seems like they're just hanging out Whereas, as we kind of talked about earlier, there isn't really any other situation from all of the other films where they're just all hanging out. One or two of them here or there, or they might have like a phone call or whatever. But this is just, this makes it seem like that's what they all do all the time, is just hang out even when they're not out avenging. Yeah. I think the movie, it just, another thing, it just, it needed to have more of an impact on the larger on the larger world you know event the first avengers they talk about how it changed things you know obviously aliens that you know they're always referencing what do they call it uh the battle of new york do, do they call it the incident at some point they might or am i just think am i just thinking of lost but i, I feel like they I think anyway. when they talk about Sokovia, they end up calling it the incident. Well, that's and that's what I was going to say was so you said and now I understand it's half this. I would say it's half this half cap civil war, but I would say the Sokovia thing does for a long time play out. And that, yeah, that, that, be, that, that does begin the here. Entire world. Yeah, that yep. does begin here. It amps up infinitely more in cap civil war. But it it definitely begins here. So I think this I think that's that part of the story does have an impact on the greater world of Earth, whatever this Earth number is in the MCU. I feel like even that could have could have been done better because I was watching I was rewatching the movie and there was the conversation where where, you know, the whole city was flying up and they're saying, uh, well, we could we could blow this up and destroy the entire city, but everybody else on it would die as well. And of course, S.H.I.E.L.D. comes along and saves all the civilians. I was thinking, like, that would have been a much interesting story if they had to blow up the whole city and all the civilians on the city died as well. I mean, you're doing it for, like, a greater good purpose. Hello, everyone. You are currently listening to Avengers 2, Avengers Age of Ultron. Now, of course, this is towards the end of Phase 2 of the MCU. And uh, right now, over at Content Club, of course, you can get the 
end of phase two, that being the last episode of season two, the last podcast episode of season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Ant-Man uh, early and uninterrupted before it comes out here on the regular podcast feed. You can also get ahead on phase three, which includes the beginning of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season three, season one of Jessica Jones upcoming. Uh, upcoming episodes also include season Carter season Carter agent Carter season two my apologies and daredevil season two and so much more uh, for one low price you get all of those episodes early and uninterrupted before they come out here on the regular podcast feed. You also get episodes of Paul and All. You also get episodes of Buffyverse and Converse. And you get episodes of some of our Content Club exclusive shows all for that one low price every month. So make sure you go check it out. Get all of these episodes for MCU and me and more early over at Content Club. I think that would have been much more interesting, much more dark, a way for them to win but still lose at the same time. And then then the Sokovia Accords feel much more justified when when you get a second movie. I mean, when you get when you get to Civil War. The problem. I really hated them comparing this. You know, marketing for this movie, they they compared it to uh, Godfather Part Two and uh, Empire Strikes Empire Strikes Back, which is of course what you do. You're making Every a sequel. sequel. You compare. Does. Yes, you're making a sequel. You compare it to the two best sequels of all time. But it's just that comparison just doesn't work because it's not it's not dark. You know, it's it's got to kind of end on a little bit of a it's got to kind of end on a little bit of a sour note. I mean, the only sacrifice was, you know, some fast dude who we didn't even know or beforehand. <laughs> I mean, if we, you know, if we knew if we knew Scarlet Witch beforehand, then we would have felt bad for her because she lost somebody important to her. But we didn't know her beforehand either. It's, it just doesn't. It's, I mean, it's, I felt bad during that scene. I cried. No, but yeah. it's, I, I agree. It is sort of that, and and. Yeah, okay, it was a minor character, but it was still a character that we knew from all the other films when Coulson died, and that was the thing that brought them together. But what what did we come out of this with? It's a city. Okay, yes, a city that no that there was no one in that blew up. And I'm sorry, Lisa, but he's right. Just a fast dude who we don't know. Right, but weren't people killed in Sokovia? Not just that they lost their homes, which is bad, but people were killed by Ultron before, you know, as, uh, you know what I mean? Like, as they were attacking, it wasn't just, uh, there was, there was collateral damage. You know, it wasn't like everybody survived and got off and went, oh, well, we lost our houses, but that's all. Um, there, there were people who got injured and whatever, not just yeah, the but, fast guy. But we, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Liam, but I think what Liam's trying to get at is we, the audience, we don't know random person number two who lost their life. We don't really know Quicksilver enough 
to have it have his death be impactful to us we don't even know wanda enough for his for for quicksilver's death to be impactful for us us as the audience we don't come away from that movie going wow that was really deep and wow like like okay so just the the star wars comparison right you come out of or you you finish empire strikes back and luke lost his hand holy crap han solo's frozen in carbonite holy crap what is gonna happen next at the end of this one oh no a fast dude who we just got introduced to two hours ago died oh that sucks for his sister but we don't really know her too much oh some people died and yes that's terrible and yes they had to blow that city up but why do i care emotionally about any of it and even the people it, it, it is established that civilians died in sokovia but that's like established in civil war more so like we don't it's we don't explicitly see any like civilians die like even if at the end of the movie they had included like some line of dialogue about how like oh there were 20 people left in this building that we didn't get or something and like just even if even if at the end cap when he was like you know saying like because part of the ending of the of the film right is tony is retiring because at this point well, so to do this film, Robert Downey Jr. had to sign an extension on his contract because technically his contract was up after Iron Man 3. And then he's, you know, signed a new deal with them. But the theory was, and, you know, even now in 2022, is the main Avengers that we knew from the first film into the second film weren't going to be, theoretically, weren't going to be the Avengers because a lot of their contracts were up or soon to be up or what have you. And actually to the point where even in the Avengers sequels, they had to sign most, if not all of them to new deals just to come back for those films and, you know, give them more money and what have you. And that's why some of them are leaving. But even if there was a line when Cap is sort of saying, oh, hey, I'm, you know, because him and Natasha are going to, you know, do the train, the new recruits to be Avengers. And that includes um, Falcon. That includes Wanda, you know, and if even if there had been some sort of line in there where it's like this, t I'm just using, you know, this time we're going to do better. Even though we saved a lot of people, there were still too many that died because of Ultron in Sokovia or whatever, like before we even got there. He could have said something like that and it would have at least established like, OK, now because realistically, yeah, OK, there's always going to be threats. But what is Captain America's new team training to avenge for? Nothing right now. But then again, it's the same thing with, like Tony said, about the fact that the last threat came totally just out of literally a hole in the sky. So, But, but, but Captain America flat out said that every time, I don't remember the exact line, and I'm sure... He said, he said every time that... that uh, you fight a war that hasn't been declared pretty much, you know, people are going it, to, it's a bad thing. But that's exactly what he does at the end of this movie is he's starting up an army to fight an unknown villain. Cause we don't know of whatever the next thing is going to be. Oh, silence amongst again, the podcast. <laughs> and he's like, he's, and he's like training a bunch of foot shoulders. They're like doing laps around the building and that's never brought up again either. But 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but then again, it's still, you know, the military trains to, they're not just, um, they're there to protect, you know, it's not to necessarily to fight, but to protect. And, but it's all, it's also, yes, you're absolutely right. And it's incredibly valiant what they do, but they also, we see time and time again in the MCU, whether it's films, whether it's TV series or whatever you want to call, you know, the Defenders series because they weren't on TV or the Disney Plus series, whatever, you know, people have a weird thing with you, some of them, you when you call them TV series, but the, the serialized things or the films or whatever, they always put up, you know, some sort of memorial or they, they never let you forget why do we continue to fight because even the the few li- the few lives that we lost were a few too many and not once in this is it mentioned yeah. Yeah. that some people died in Sokovia at any point yeah you're right you're right because that's the thing is we're not leaving you know pretty much they say we're not leaving as long as there are any citizens left on the you know so yeah i get it it is, and it and it's weird that it's Cap that's that's pretty much training, you know, you know, pretty much declaring war on a war that hasn't happened. Yeah, I think when when I look at Ultron to, to talk about him for a second, uh, his motivations just really don't work either. It's it's just kind of generic. Like one, we don't really, you don't really get into why he turns evil. It's just kind of generic. Ooh, AI wants to kill everybody. Never seen that in a movie before. Uh, and then he's briefly like, "I have Avengers extinction," but then that just sort of evolves into, "I'm going to blow up the whole planet." That's how. Well, that's because, how you save humanity. Well, because he because he's not out to save humanity, and that's the thing. He's out to stop basically stop the threat and the only way to stop the threat against humanity is to wipe out humanity because this humanity's greatest threat humanity i mean yeah i i get that it's a it's a you know it's matrix it's it's terminator it's every other you know ai thing we've had but i think a much a much better motivation and story for ultron was would be if it actually was focused on the Avengers. If if his 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 mission was to just get rid of the Avengers, if he saw the Avengers specifically as the biggest threat to humanity, and he was focused on them, because then the story becomes much more personal. It's not just generic army fighting, you know, the Avengers fighting generic army, part two of four, uh, and. Uh, what was I going to say? And then it, uh, it, you could almost kind of think Ultron's right a little bit. Like, well, you know, you could start to, you know, see things in the Like, well, I mean, I guess he's kind of right. Maybe if the Avengers weren't around, things things might be a little better. They're they're sure causing a lot of problems or whatever. You know, you could think along those lines. You want your villain to be a little bit. You want to relate to your villain. Even a tiny bit, you gotta kind of, you gotta you kind of understand. You want him to be a sociopath. You want him yeah. to, you know, have a little bit of something. Yeah. 
I mean, Ultron's plan doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm sorry, blowing up the Earth to save the Earth doesn't make any sense to me. Like that's that's that that's just he just wants to blow everything up. And if they just went straight forward with that, that would that would be even better. Like, I think a, a villain who is just not not biased about like 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 Joker in The Dark Knight. He doesn't really have any motivation. He just, he just wants to cause chaos and blow things up and kill people. That works better than some half-baked attempt at justifying his actions with like some motive that doesn't really work. Wait, 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 wait. I got to go back for a second. So yeah. you said you think – does he want to blow up the earth or does – because he wants, he wants to blow it up and start over where basically – only AI or only himself is like the only thing going forward, right? Yeah, he says like, uh, when I'm done, the only thing living on Earth will be metal. So like, just him. In Fringe, wasn't that the plot of one of the seasons? Where they, were, get... like, they were like, hey, we're gonna... Basically, we're going to create a world where we like they've created like monster mutant like creatures and whatnot. And then basically they're like, we're going to create a new world where only it's us because it's the two. I'm not going to say too much because if people haven't watched Fringe, go watch it. But where it's the two guys who had this idea and then they're going to be the only humans left. And the new world, that basically they, they want to play God because they're going to create this new world and this new sort of Garden of Eden type thing where all of the creatures that they created are now going to exist. And, and they're going to be the last two humans and then humanity is going to die off because what they've created is that next evolutionary step. So it kind of does make sense that he would think that because the evolutionary thing, right, like there was animals and there was humans and then humans created technology and AI and metal and whatnot. And I know metal was around cause they're elements or whatever, but I'm going with metal being metal slash AI and technology. So then it would make sense that they would, you know, basically want to see their ancestors. It's, it's, it's what happens, right? We, 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 oh, it sounds horrible to say, especially cause my mother's on here, but at a certain point we kind of want to see, the past in our lineage die off to prove that we are better and that we can raise the next generation better. And I can stand on my own and I'm not beholden to my parents and my lineage and what have you. Right. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think he really wants humanity to involve. Like if he wanted humanity involved, I mean, there would be there would be some type of like, oh, we're gonna upload everybody to the cloud or whatever. But no, he just it, it would just be him. Like it would like. But he has everything. He has the he right because that's the thing is he because he's everywhere and he can infiltrate all the things. So he has whatever everyone has already at that point in 2015 or whatever year this is supposed to take place because somebody figured that out once. But uh, if every you know all of my pictures that are in the cloud. And I have I have Apple 
and all of your pictures that are in whatever I don't know if it's called the cloud or whatever, but ever you know Android's version of the cloud and Google's version, whatever. If he can access all of that, he already has the totality of everything being pictures, memories, blog posts, whatever. Can he feel all of it? No, but he thinks he can. So he already well, has he, the totality he, of all human. And the thing is, everything. He's, he's not he's not out to save humankind. Because what Tony Stark says is that he wants to put a blanket around the earth. Tony never says he wants to save humankind. He wants to save the earth. And and Ultron's thought is that the only way to save the earth is by eliminating humankind. It's not just Ultron that thinks that. There's a good portion of people that think that too. That we yeah, are the I'm ones just doing saying... the most damage to the earth. But I'm just saying, but that's that's his motivation is that um, it's not about it's not about saving people. It's about saving the planet. And that's why he's OK with destroying all mankind, because it's it's never about because that that's not his um, his number one priority. He was created to save the earth. Not to save the people on it, but originally the idea was that Ultron was going to be the blanket around, or the, the not shield, but the safety net around the Earth was going to be Ultron. But even even that uh, even that doesn't work because he's just because what what is he going to do? You know this this giant. You know, the giant city dropping on the planet just makes the planet inhospitable. You know, it's going to kill all, not just going to kill humans, it's going to kill all animal no, and no, plant but see, life. That's the thing. It's just another extinction level that basically it's the same concept of the meteor that hit Earth that killed the dinosaurs because they talk about that. that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So so basically this is just according to his theoretical thought processes this is just an extinction level event that wipes out humankind but then again humankind life on earth was wiped out and yet it it evolved again because you know nothing is created and nothing is uh uh destroyed so the building blocks are still there so although if humans die something will come back again if he creates this extinction level thing, Earth will remain, just humans will be gone. But then with that with that logic, why would he even have to do anything? If he believes if he believes that humans are gonna cause you know the end of the world, so kill off humans so the world doesn't end, so he's gonna but you know he doesn't he's, want because he doesn't want to sit around and wait. Yeah. <laughs> but he, then he'll let's, just let's speed up because, the process yeah. a little bit. Come on. <laughs> I guess because like <laughs> it'll just, it, just be Wally, you know, like in the in the movie, you know, in the movie Wally, where he's just, um, you know, sitting around in the, you know, uninhabited planet. I want to take a moment and say, Lisa, did we lose you over there? I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm just feeling sleepy. I'm listening to everything though. Well, I have I hadn't heard you in a little bit, so I just wanted to check in. I was yeah, listening. I, I looked at the thing to see if she was still, you know, still in the call. It's a good philosophical uh, discussion. I, I'm enjoying it. I'm just listening. 
Hey folks, for the last bit of this episode, we're actually going to present it to you completely uninterrupted. Of course, as mentioned previously, you could get this episode and all other episodes of Clock Shelves Entertainment Podcasts early and uninterrupted over at Content Club. This is the last uh, little interruption for this episode, uh, but again, you could have gotten it early and uninterrupted in full over at Content Club. That's patreon.com slash clockshelves. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Honestly, that's that's my favorite part, and I, I, this is extremely selfish of me to say. It's one of my favorite parts about doing these podcasts as much as I like talking about these things, whatever. Sometimes you'll notice that I will just sit back for a little bit because I love to just listen to everyone else, so I totally get it. <laughs> and I talk a lot in the beginning, so um, giving other people a chance. What I will say which this will come up again in the future, at least there aren't a bunch of weirdos out there in the fandom thinking, ooh, Ultron was right the entire time. At least people aren't, at least people aren't saying that about this movie. Well, there are people who think that Ultron was right in the fact that, you know, if we eliminate humans or eliminate, you know, the... I mean, because if you think about it, I, I was just literally thinking about the fact that that's kind of what uh, in what was it? Men in Black. You know, they wanted to eliminate the inf- uh, infestation of Earth by humans because we're killing the planet. So then we'll leave it for the bugs, you know, so it's it's the same the same concept of, you know, eliminating humans because we're the ones that are that are causing so. Obviously, lots of people have had that thought, but they're not arguing it like they did with a future movie, you know, so (laughs) there is that. Yeah. Like how I skipped that spoiler, Paul? Yes, mom. Thank (laughs) you. Good job. I just think that's the, I just think in the future movie, I think, I just think that's the dumbest opinion someone could have thinking certain people were right or wrong. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll 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 have that discussion. <clears throat> but um, well, I've got some lists for future movies for you, Paul. Okay. So things that you have to remember to to keep an eye on. Um, one of the only other things that I wanted to say, and we I kind of touched on it before, is the fact that um, I'm not that I'm. I mean, if we want to wrap it up, that's fine. But I'm just saying, um we do get sort of the new Avengers here. And we know in the comics that there are, there, there have been many different versions of the Avengers. And then there was even like, there was the West coast Avengers at one point, And then there's the secret Avengers and there's, there's all of these things. But I thought that the way that they did this, because at the time, I don't think we knew how long, phase three was going to be and that it was actually going to be you know as long as it was because so far we had seen where phase one was those i talked about it before those first few films and then the avengers and then i remember i I, a former co-worker of mine and i got into a huge debate at the time because he was and i've talked a little bit about it before on the podcast he was super insistent that the um 
The Hulk movie that features the cameo in the credits scene by Tony Stark was not canon because they didn't bring that same actor back and what have you. And, and it, no, don't even pay attention to that movie. It's not. And then he was super insistent that this was the last movie of Phase 2 and Ant-Man was the beginning of Phase 3 because it has to, obviously, it has to end with the Avengers movie. And I was like, here's where they say it's not. Here's where they say it's not. Here's where they say it's not, whatever. And he was like, no, no, no. It has to be the Avengers. That's It makes sense because it all culminates with that. And as we've talked about here, nothing sort of culminated at all, really. Um, yeah. Along with the fact of making sense is not necessarily a high priority right on where they draw a line well in, what, what in i was going to say was things. With, with you know phase 2 relatively small i'm sorry phase 1 relatively small phase 2 also relatively small except for the fact that we got you know guardians which introduced us to a whole other part of the galaxy that we didn't know about and then um phase 3 is the one that lasted the longest. Now, should it have, I don't know, that's a whole debate for another time. But phase three, there's there's a lot that goes into it. So it makes sense that they would kind of out with the old, in with the new, where, where, where reti- you know, Tony Stark is retiring and Thor is off to do his own adventures. We, we don't know when or if he'll ever come back to Earth because, you know, he's... He's on the outs with with Jane Foster. He now has to go off and figure out this vision hallucination quest thing that he has and what have you. Um, Hulk is somewhere out there. Maybe he's in the ocean. Maybe he's near Saturn. We don't know because what can a Quinjet do? Right, Liam? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But we have Captain America who even as, you know, begrudgingly, Tony Stark said in this one, he funds it. Cap is the leader. And so it makes sense that Cap would get sort of these new Avengers to, you know, sort of, and it's, we have Wanda, we have Falcon, we have, who is it, Rhodes? Yeah. And Vision, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and so I, I like that, that, and I'm, did they follow through with it? Kind of not really again, sort of a retconned thing, maybe. But I like the fact that at least at this point, it's kind of, okay, we've, we've now, the, the ending of this film is sort of transitioning us into what can the M, you know, what can the Avengers films, what can the MCU look like in the future? I like that. And I just still, we don't get to hear Avengers assemble. So there's, oh, that was on purpose. (laughs) I know. I know. Because I watched one of the one of the bloopers and and uh, Scarlett Johansson, you know, he says Avengers and she says assemble. <laughs> like she sneaks up behind it. Assemble. One but, thing I'm just now thinking about it. This this new Avengers team, we never even see them, if, you know, as a team working together. Not until later. Well, not don't we briefly get something of them in Ant-Man? No. I mean, you get Falcons in Ant-Man, but like the rest of the team isn't. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Like at no point does this. Yeah. At no point does this this entire team like work together, I think. 
Well, what I wanted to, to mention too that we didn't really touch on is um, I love the costume design in this movie. Um, I know it's an unpopular opinion, but like this is um, my favorite uh, Captain America suit. I love the Age of Ultron suit. I thought Black Widow looked fantastic. I liked What's um, with Jack the LED Jack in her suit. Sorry. What was there that? was a like her her suit has a lot of LED as she moves. Like I wonder what that whether there was something with that as she's moving the blue lines on her suit light up they're blue or white it changes throughout the movie. Yeah, as she's fighting. I think it was just like technology added in or or something cuz we see like a lot of like she has like those electric batons or whatever. But like uh-huh. as she's in the fight scenes, the it's like as she certain things that she moves. Sometimes the suit has blue, sometimes it's white, and I wasn't sure if it was an enhancement because, you know, we know that Tony uh, creates enhancements in some of the suits and things. So I was wondering if that was something like a protective something in her suit. Just curious. I'm not sure. Wait, who is this? Um. Black Widow. Black Widow. Oh, I did. I, I don't know. I'll I mean, I'll admit the, the movie lighting thing. Sorry. The the movie looks better than Avengers did, in my opinion. Avengers, I, I I'm pretty sure I talked about this, but Avengers felt oversaturated with the colors and everything. It was just too bright and oversaturated. But this movie at least looks better. I'll give it that. Right, and I, I think the costumes are much better. I, I just, I, I liked the look of this a lot. Um, I thought Ultron's design was great. The CGI was really good. So I just wanted to comment on that. And I, I love Scarlet Witch's costume that we see for literally five seconds at the end and then never see again. I really liked that costume. Well, that was one of the things, right, was, I mean, obviously later on it, for for reasons you know she has the costume from the comics but that if i'm not mistaken that was one of the things was that elizabeth olsen and kevin feige kind of decided together they did not (laughs) want her to look like that in the films right i mean i liked it i liked the 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 jacket in that one well, no, no, no. I mean, they didn't want her to look like the comics. They, I, I like the way oh, that, I like yeah. the way that she looks. I like the like, I, and and the fact that it's it's subtle, and maybe, I don't know. I'm not. I'm, I'm haven't really gone super in depth. I think I've maybe seen the first two of the the X Men ones, but I do like the fact that in all of the um, the MCU things, there's at least hints and nods and winks to their comics counterparts. Yes. Even if it's not outright the costume from like, like hers, there's at least like, you know, the hints of red and things like that. Even if it's not flat out, Hey, this is the Scarlet witch costume from the comics versus the X-Men where like Wolverine never gets to wear the blue and yellow. Right. He does. Not quite that, but he does wear blue and yellow. Yeah, Days of Future Past. He's mm-hmm. his costume's got a lot of blue and yellow tones in it, at least. But not that mask. So but you know, that. you know what I mean. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. 
Um, so personally, I don't have anything else with regards to Age of Ultron. Um, I know, Lisa, I know you had notes. Ruth, I know you had notes. And Liam, I know that in the build-up to this, off mic, you and I had a lot that we touched on. And we talked we talked about a lot of it. But I also know there were certain other things that you were like, I don't want to get too much into this because you wanted to save it for the show. Uh, amongst the three of you, was there anything more that we wanted to cover? I'm good. I am I mean, I, I feel like I could keep going, but I, 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 I don't, I don't want to too much. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to drag this on. And there's something I, there's stuff that I could save for another movie because it's, it's all, it's all, it's all relative anyway. But I mean, how would we, how would we rank this movie amongst other Marvel movies? Up to this point, or just. Of all of them, I mean, is this like in your top five or something or what? No, I would definitely not say top five. No. I mean, do you guys have like, do you guys have like a list of them? I don't. I do not. No. I never okay, actually have so- a list. I just know Guardians and Winter Soldier are one and two for sure. Now, if you could eliminate this movie... From the, you know, if, if we could just, you know, mind stone it away. <laughs> do you think that the, do you think that there's anything in this movie? Yes, there were hints at things that are, that are coming. But if this movie weren't part of the, like, if we could take it out, do you think it would be missed? Yes. Mm. Yeah. The only yeah. thing is, is the mind stones, is the mind stone stuff. No, I, I, well, I, I disagree with you, Liam. I think there's too, it, as unfortunate as it is, this film is too much of a bridge to future things, because mm. we get, we get the setup of Sokovia, which influences Captain America: Civil War. We get the introduction of Scarlet Witch, which sets up a whole crap ton of stuff. We get, um, we get the fact that Falcon and, and I know you said we don't see them as a team, but we get Falcon and Rhodey becoming more in with the Avengers because they were kind of like side characters, peripheral, maybe saved for like a solo film or what have you. But now they're by being on this team. Yeah. Okay. They're not with Thor or Iron Man, but they're at least acknowledged as their Avengers now. We get the entirety of Vision created in this, and again, very important later. We get the setup, kind of. I know we said it it goes in a different direction, but we get the setup, kind of, of Thor and what he's about to do. We get the setup of where Hulk, like what, you know, well, we, get, we start to question of what is. happened to Hulk. Where did he go? The ocean or Saturn or where have you? Because where does a Quinjet go? Right, Liam? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to keep hitting that one. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that there's too much, even, even as much as I honestly, I didn't think about it until, until Ruth said it, we do get even that thing in, in Steve's hallucination of, you know, 
that perhaps foreshadowing thing that happens, you know, many, many moons from now. Um, I think as much as I wouldn't rank the film highly, it unfortunately acts too much as a sturdy piece in the bridge from what came before to a lot of the stuff that's going to happen coming up. Well, that, that was my, that was my question was, do we think that it, you know, could, because it wasn't, not that it wasn't a great movie, but because there's so many things that could we have eliminated it, you know, could it have, could it have gone away? Um, no, actually, I think the only thing, as, as weird as it is, I think the only thing that you can take away and nobody would miss it would be most of the Ultron stuff. For and for it being in a movie called Age of Ultron, that's kind of sad, actually. Well, yeah, but then again, <laughs> if it wasn't for Ultron, Sokovia wouldn't have happened, so you can't really even take that away. Yeah. Because U- U- Ultron yeah. is the reason that the, that the thing went up. Uh, real quick, I want to see... We're talking about the hint at things from the future with Steve. Um, I was noticing did was it this movie? Did he go to see he didn't see Peggy in this movie, right? He did in the flashback or in the, the you know, the mind thing. No, I think what she's talking about is I'm, when she's well, in the, the last old movie. woman wake up makeup in uh, uh, that's the last movie. Yeah. Okay. Only because there I noticed something interesting in the fact that in all the photos, it's photos of her and kids and no guy. I feel like we might have mentioned that when we talked, because it was Lisa and Ellsworth and myself. I don't remember if we did, but I feel like we might have talked about that. <laughs> all right, we won't talk about that. <laughs> they don't understand. We'll, we'll pretend it's Bruno. <clears throat> uh, I, no, I, I, I don't want to say too much about future movies, but there's stuff to say, definitely. I think, but to talk, say about about uh, taking this movie out. I think, yeah, if you're watching it for the first time, you, of course you need to watch it because it because the vision stuff is important and other stuff too. But if you were like, if you, if you were uh, if you were rewatching, or like like let's say you're going in to see a new, a new MCU movie, and you got and you're short on time, you just want to watch like key key stuff. I think you could definitely skip Ultron. Like oh, if you were going, to, yeah. If you go, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'll agree with you there. Yeah. It's yeah, 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 yeah. That's like, I mean, we, well, not Ruth, but the other three of us, we're we're huge Lost fans, and so we of course have ones where it's like, okay, I'm not super big on that. So when you're doing a rewatch, you might say, well. I like this one because in your mind, you know the story. So you can kind of pick and choose. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch this. These are like the essential whatever. You don't have to. But if you, but yeah, no, I would, I would, I would agree. If you're watching it for the first time or like this, where we're doing a, you know, super deep dive, you, you have to cover it at least. You know what I mean? Like it, ha- it, it, it is part of the story. But if you're just doing like a rewatch where it's like, I just kind of want to hit the ones I like or my favorite ones or the ones that really, you know, might be, you know, at the beginning of of TV shows, they show you, you know, previously on scenes. And those are the scenes where they, you know, it could be from four episodes ago, but it's to let you know, hey, this is important in the lead up to whatever's going to happen in this episode. I don't 
thing. There's very little in this that would be in those previously on. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yes. Although there's a lot that could be. Um, but if you already know the story and you're right, like, if, like, like Liam said, if you're just doing a refresher of, you know what? I just, cause realistically you could probably go from this. You could probably actually, you could probably go and s realistically skip over this maybe even skip over Ant-Man, which is not to say, folks, don't skip over Ant-Man because that is the next film one we're going to be discussing on the podcast in between some TV series and whatnot. But you could probably go right to Civil War. Well, yeah. It's the same mm -hmm. thing like when I was going back to see what had previously happened, I was able to skip over watching Guardians of the Galaxy because although Guardians of the Galaxy is very important to the end story, it's not important to the next part of the story. Yes. So, but I was just curious, you know, like it, it because it's not a favorite, it, it, you know, I was just curious if, if you, if any of you thought that it could have just been, eh, we'll just toss that one out and, and um, the story would have continued without all the things that happened. Cause it, and that's the thing, because it's not, like, I'll be honest, this is my least favorite MCU movie. And oh, oh. The, the thing that gets me the most is it's the wasted potential. I feel like they could have done so much with this. They could have done so much with the character of Ultron as a villain. The, the impact he could have had on the Avengers specifically could have been a much more personal story. So it's just the waste of potential. Like, that's somehow worse. Like, I, I don't think this is the worst made movie. It's not, like, the worst directing or the worst acting or the worst visual effects. But it's my least favorite just because of that wasted potential. I, I see so much of what could have been in this movie. and It, it, it almost, like, hurts worse. Because a, a bad movie, you just, you just throw it away and you don't think about it. You, you know, you find some you find some knockoff like what is it asylum we'll, we'll yeah. make a knockoff oh, yeah, yeah, of a yeah, film yeah. it's asylum yeah, yeah yeah i know what you're talking about they do the transmorphers instead of the transformers yeah, yeah. atlantic rim like they yep. don't you, you don't even worry about those you, you, you see it you see oh this is crap throw, throw this in the in the trash but it's, it's different waste of potential in my opinion hurts a little bit more I don't disagree. That makes a lot of sense. So if we don't have anything else, which again, the floor is completely open to anyone, uh, but I know it is, it is getting a little late um, here, at least on the East Coast time. Uh, if we don't have anything else, um, why don't you guys hit them with your social media handles in the order that you introduced yourselves okay so i'm going to get a lot of crap from paul again because i don't have a lot of social media handles i'm on facebook you can find me there either with my name which is on the uh, clock shelves website or uh you can find me at just plain crazy faceart.com i uh you could you can waste your time and follow me on twitter at, at hazard time or you can also check out my YouTube. It's youtube.com slash hazard time. And this is Lisa, and you can follow me at Viva La Deadly on Twitter. 
and thank you for listening. You can find me at JPGRB on Twitter and Instagram. You can find all of us at Clock Shelves on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. You probably got this episode early and uninterrupted over at Content Club, uh, patreon.com slash clock shelves. Um, I was so excited to do this episode, and it did not disappoint, folks. Thank you so much. We got a lo- we covered a lot in this discussion and I don't think it could have gone any better. So, thank you to Ruth, Liam, and Lisa for being on. Go check them out. It is not a waste to follow them anywhere that they appear on social media, Liam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but go check them out. Uh show support where you can. Uh, help us uh, keep the mics and lights on. And by doing that, you could just even share stuff, follow them, um, and all of that. Uh, coming up next on MCU and Me is the, I believe it's the finale of Season 2 of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. featuring Liam, myself, and the mystery person that's going to be my season three co-host so check out the episode to find out who that is gonna be and again we kind of get a little bit of fallout um from this film in that so we will discuss that a little bit uh there um and yeah we're gonna have ant-man and you know more tv more films it's gonna be great because of course all the stuff is gonna be on disney plus so it'll be all in one central hub so go check that out. Go check out the podcast more. Go ch- All of these people, by the way, have been on other podcasts that I do. Go check out their social medias. And for now, I'm just going to say thank you once again to Ruth and Liam and Lisa. And thank you all, true believers. Have a good night. Mm-hmm.